Hello again, friends! And you are our friends, and welcome back to another edition of Jim Cornette's drive through on whatever day this is. I don't even know anymore. There are planes going overhead, the humming of which you may hear. While listening to this program, I'm your host, the great Brian Last. We have some reviews, some big things coming out of Dynamite this week, questions, audio, silliness, who knows what, with this man, the leader of the cult of Cornette, Mr. Jim Cornette. Thank you very much, Radar O'Reilly. That's what I'm going to call you from now on, Radar Last, because, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls and children of all ages, Radar here, we were about to start recording this program. And he said, what's, what's that hum I hear? I said, I don't, I, don't, I don't know what you're talking about. I hear a hum. As a matter of fact, there's a car going down the road right now. One of these, one of these goddamn hot-rodding kids, these teenage juvenile delinquents that live over in the subdivision. How are the mics getting better? <laughs> what is but, happening? But you were, no, you were saying, I could hear it. It's a goddamn loud-ass fucking guy compensating for his small penis with his loud car. It's all disturbing all the wildlife around here these days. But before we went on the air, he said, what's that hum? I said, I don't hear any. I took my headset off and I'm listening intently and I hear nothing and I'm poo-pooing you. And then suddenly I hear it. It was a plane going over my house that you heard that I couldn't hear when I'm sitting here, but you heard through the microphone, unless you're indeed in cohorts with the people that are implanted inside my walls, and you heard it before I could. What's up with that? Maybe it's time you go to the doctor. Uh, for, well, how's he going to hear it? He Clean your ears. No, he lives nowhere near me. How's he going to hear something like, my ears are perfectly clean, thank you. You can, you can stick your head in and poke around in my ears and you'll find nothing. What do Absolutely you use? Absolutely nothing. What do you use? Do you use Q-tips? What do you mean, what do I use? I use a Q-tip to uh, circumnavigate the interior portion of my ear without pushing it in so far that I give myself a lobotomy. And otherwise, I don't allow various toxins and pollutants and blockages to come into my ears to begin with. I have my ear snood on when I'm sleeping. Do you know how many spiders crawl what? into people's ears? When they're sleeping at night, Brian, do you realize, have you seen the statistics on this? I have not. What do you, do you really wear something? The average to person. protect your ears? The, yeah, well, you got to. You got to be smart. Because the average person has like 92 <laughs> spiders that enter their, their head and their brainal cranium area every year while they're asleep. Through the years there. Are you setting up a sponsor spot? What is no, I'm saying that's right I'm, I've got my... <laughs> Custom made ear snood that keeps custom made. It's custom made for my ears. I don't want to be wearing somebody else's. Who there could be a, an air leak. What is this? What exactly is an ear Over snood? Over at the ear store. It's a it's a cuppage type of, of thing, almost like the headphones, except I'm not listening to anything. I'm just preventing anything from entering my my head through my ears. Now, it's hard to do anything about the nose. Yeah, what about your mouth? What if the spider just well, crawls into your well, mouth? you keep your mouth closed when you're sleeping? But if you're in the middle That's of... That's pretty a, good advice for everybody. You're in the middle of an amazing dream. It's Jim Cornette and Raquel Welch on the beach. Your mouth's not going to open? 
In my dreams, it will, but I don't want whatever the fuck is else is on the beach to crawl into my mouth. <laughs> but then, you know, if you try to cover up the nostrils, it does interfere with the oxygen intake. But I figure you're you're pretty much halfway covered there because half the time you're breathing out through your nose as you are breathing in. So you're pretty much halfway covered there. But the ears, they're just an open door to vermin of all kinds to crawl in and set up shop. Haven't you ever heard of an earwig? I've heard of it. Got to cover those ear holes, I'm telling you. That's what Bruno San Martino wore for the later part of his career. No, that's not an earwig. That's a headwig. Haven't you heard of Hedwig and the Angry Inch? That's why he was so angry. His wig matched his ear hair. Exactly. That was the genius of it. Well, that, that, you can't get any smarter than that. There's got to be some way to repurpose all this ear and nose hair we end up grabbing. You started that yet? I started Have you what? come to the point in time in your in your life, in your age, your chronological history where all of a sudden it looks like Brillo pads just start coming out of your nostrils and your fucking ears? No, I've been on top of this for years. I have nothing to worry about. No, you, you it'll 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 take over eventually. It's it suddenly it looks like the Munster's mansion. You got, you got about another 10 years, and then shit's gonna take place. Anyway, what but it's we, a fun, a great show so this? far. Well, didn't we just do this like hours ago? The only, normally we have some type of story or tale to tell of in my interaction with something or somebody. Found a fucking dead mouse the other day. Don't know. It wasn't marked up. It wasn't bludgeoned or, or bitten by animals. It was just laying there dead. I don't know what happened to it. But that's not really interesting. But see, that's the point I'm making. Since I spoke to you last and we broadcastified for the fine folks, here's what I've done. I've watched another five or six hours of rotten wrestling. I signed a plethora of products and merchandise for the fine customers at, the, at Cornette's Collectibles at jimcornette.com and handed off same to the feather bottoms. More, more on that later. And I think I ate once, I believe I slept, and I know that Harley's pooped, and then we're pretty much back here doing this again. So I really have, but, but you know, that brings up something, Brian, something that's pressing on my mind. I feel like I'm hogging your program. No, but if you, have a, I, if you have a pressing issue, please. Well, I do. It's, it's pressing. It's pressing on me. Press it right down there where I did surgery, and oh, boy. I don't want to hog your program, Brian. I don't want to hog your spotlight, the the star, the star of the drive-through here. You're you're the reason why this program is big, and and we're always talking about me, what's going on in my life instead of instead of you. We we don't talk about when's the last time that a a, a car landed on your fence or what's your dew point up there at Last Manor or anything because I'm hogging. I'm just, I'm just hogging the spotlight. So Brian, let's turn it over to you. Just all those stories that you've been, that you've been stockpiling that I've not been letting you get out. Go ahead and tell them right now. Just, just let it flow. Yeah, I don't have any stories to share on demand just like that. So no, <gasps> I will not be doing that. <sighs> no on-demand stories? No, on. tell me a story. No, I'm like, what? Well, why, who, what, what, what happens when the kids come up and say, Paul, 
Tell us a bedtime story. You just say, fuck it, I don't have one. I don't do on-demand stories. That's like on-demand printing. I demand you print this, and it's done. I demand you. Tell me a story. You always got to be ready with an on-demand story. Tell me a story. All right, there once was a Brian from Nantucket. Uh, I heard this one from Lanny Poffo. Okay. No, I'm, I'm telling you stories all the time. That's all I do is sit here and tell you people stories. Well, what do you want me to tell you about? I'll have you know. When's the last time a car ended up on your fence? I've never had that happen. What's your dew point? Who the fuck knows? Boy, you just come don't on, keep going. Attention. We're doing this interview's going well so far. Come you, on. You, you just don't pay attention to what's going on around you. When, when's the last time that you you daily monitored a, a little birdie's nest to see the little the little birdies pop out of the eggs and and stick their little beakies up in the air and get fed by mommy? Last spring. You really did have a brand. You didn't talk about it. No, I didn't talk about it. There's we'll some things you don't share. Now. There's some things you don't share. What were you doing to these birds that you're so ashamed of? I wasn't doing anything to them, and I didn't want anyone else to do anything to them. I was letting them live in peace. What do you think this and privacy. people are people are gonna be storming the fucking gates of your property to see these birds just if you talk about them? Or potentially kidnap them, tied up, taken away, and held for ransom, the birds? Yeah, one day you're going to turn around, oh my god, someone broke into my garage looking for Bertie Sanders. I didn't know what to do. I'm not going to have this problem. Well, if you if you have a some kind of pandemic of bird thievery going on up there, we have competent small-town bird lawyers down here that do not allow people to be coming into your homes and kidnapping the birds. That's what I think. All right. Well, thank you for this interview and this inquiry. And uh, whoever sent All in right. this email, thank you. Uh, there was, was no it, was email it Joseph? involved. Thank here. you, Joseph. Jesus, Mary and Joseph. I've got some charity news here. Would you like to hear some charity news of some good we've done? You potentially were involved in this as well. Okay. I have an update here because one of the other things I did, I'm sorry I left that out while I was enumerating the few things I've had time to do since last we spoke was I paid my bills, and I, I did my weekly financial summary to make sure that the, uh, the enterprise here is in good condition, and I've got an update on the amounts of money that the Cult of Cornette members have raised for charity through a few of our various items at jimcornette.com over this past, well, it's been nine months, the first nine months of 2023 now. And, of course, obviously it was led by the Breast Cancer Pink Jim Cornette action figure uh, at jimcornette.com, which $10 from the sale of each goes to uh, the cancer, generally. And we've sent $6,900 to the American Cancer Society and the City of Hope, which you were instrumental in, and a number of the listeners, we switched over and have sent over $1,500, so a total of $8,420 together. The City of Hope is going to receive the rest of the donations because there are 158 of the breast cancer figures left that we are offering for sale there. And as I've said before, the only thing that he ever wrote that did anybody any good, when I found the box of Russo restraining orders that he implanted on me several years ago when he was in fear of his life from me, which it states right there on that, and that's why I have the original framed. I found a box of them. We sold them, uh, 48 of them, I think, at, at um, 
$15 each autographed to benefit the WHAS Crusade for Children. So there, and I'm adding the extra 20 bucks or 30 bucks or whatever it was. So $750. And that happened in one day. So thank you, everybody. The chair is, so we're, we're closing in on 10 grand that the, the customers and the listeners and the members out there have raised for a good cause so far this year. Wait a minute, wait a minute. If you won't give it to them, hold on. I'll... Oh, wait. Yeah, you get what you my deserve. God, wait a minute. My goddamn battery must be... Is there a screw in the back of this? I got to change the battery. How about this one? Hold on. There we go. You see, we got a big budget around here. I think yeah. that one worked better anyway. Well, it doesn't sound like as big of a crowd. It has a little more, I think I've said this before, FFA meeting in a small room at the Holiday Inn in Lawrenceburg type of, of vibe. All right. that's That a... may be too deep for this. But by the way, if for some reason you have not been involved so far in, in satisfying your entire holiday shopping list, Christmas, Hanukkah, Festivus, whatever the occasion, do it, do so now at jimcornett.com. We mentioned you can still raise some money for cancer and the Midnight Express 40th anniversary four-pack action figure sets. There's now 700 and some people in the world that will have the opportunity to own this fine piece of merch, not only just a piece of merchandise, a piece of history, and you can get the entire description of the book the autographed photo, the figures, and more at jimcornett.com, but also the entire plethora of merchandise available and on the Midnight Figures, the first royalty check to Dennis Condry, Stan Lane, and Bob Eaton's family is going to be going out in the next couple of weeks, and we thank you for that, and that's a nice surprise for them. For Well, not surprise, they knew it was coming, but a nice benefit to them at Christmas time. And so keep it coming, ladies and gentlemen. Thank you very much. All right, now this is your program, oh, storyless man. All right, well, we're going to get some stories and some reviews, and let's get this out of the way because you watch stuff, and uh, let's get it out of the way. And You watch stuff, so let's get it out of the way. We can't do too much on Raw because I don't even remember if I watched anything past the first little bit, but then I usually end up remembering other things. <laughs> How much did you watch? Well, I, I I went from start to finish, but it was not, it, there were many points where I was running at full speed. But I, again, they managed to take three hours to do the same thing that if they would just apply themselves, they could do in about an hour and 15 minutes, but they've got a three-hour show to fill. And that's what makes it so tedious. To go through, and I don't want to, I'll, I'll give you one statistic that illustrates my uh, point, even though we're jumping ahead chronologically. The main event was the Judgment Day versus Cody Rhodes and Jey Uso for the tag team title. And the entrance of the Judgment Day started at 10.29 p.m. Do you know what time the bell rang to start the match? No. By the time that they had finished their entrance, and well, they went they went to a break in the entrance. They came back, and then 
more entrance and then backstage stuff and plugs and uh, two babyface entrances and in-ring introductions. The start of the match, technically, the beginning of the first team's entrance, started at 1029. The bell rang at 1044. It took 15 full fucking minutes just to get the fucking match started. Vince McMahon would have lined us up against the wall like goddamn Bugs Moran and mowed us down if we'd have ever done that on Raw in the Attitude Era when people actually watched it in large numbers. <clears throat> well, how did it start? Was it a nice start for well, you? Well, <laughs> Did it start well and then <laughs> you, become everything you, just, you hate? You want, to, you want me to tell you what the fuck we're talking about because you put it out of your mind like a goddamn PTSD survivor. Actually, no, it would have to be uh, PTBD, right? Post-traumatic boring disorder. Is it like I've, I've been TKO'd by WWE? Well, th they're taking a little uh, a little page out of the AEW playbook now because now we're 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 talking about friendship over on Raw too. Because the the open of the show on this is October sixteenth was. Sammy Zayn coming out and doing an in-ring promo. And he's like, you know, he's just, he's conflicted. He's kind of down. He's very sad. He's all alone. Kevin Owens has gone to SmackDown. Oh, the humanity. But now Sammy gets to stand on his own two feet and he can prove that he's, you know, a contender. He, he could have been a contender, Brian. He's a, he's a world title level kind of guy. But Kevin Owens is no longer on Raw because Jey Uso came to Raw. And he's down about this because it took he, him and Kevin their entire lives to get there. And our tag team title reign was tainted by dealing with the Judgment Day. And now the Judgment Day have the title shot tonight. But I also want to thank the fans. I mean, gloom, despair, and agony, oh me, deep, dark depression, excessive misery. He lost his friend, and now he's friendless. And the Judgment Day's music plays, and they come out and laugh that he's all alone, and they talk in turn, Dominic gets booed, Rhea ends it up, and then they're going to beat the shit out of, of Sammy. And suddenly Jey Uso's music plays and he comes in with two chairs and hands one to Sammy and they're standing off the heels and the heels say, well, fuck it, they leave. And that was 12 minutes. And then after the break... Did you think someone else was going to run out there when it was just the two of them with the chairs? Well, I was hoping... Did you think Cody was going to run out there? Again, I mean, they... Do I want them to start the show the same way that they always start it, which is everybody running out and getting in a fight, or do I want them to start it the way they did here, which is some people coming out, but nobody getting in a fight, and everybody just walking off? I don't know. Is it the gas chamber or the electric chair? What about if, if goddamn, they started a different way every once in a while? But that's the thing is that there's Dominic, there's Priest, there's Finn, and there's Rhea, for that matter. And here's Jay and here's Sammy with two chairs. Well, goddamn, if they were that intent on beating people up, the three or four of them could go get three or four chairs. I, I, 
but they just left. So what exactly happened? Nick Aldis signed Kevin Owens away from Raw, or he made a trade to get... How did he end up there that... Sammy's so upset that he's there, he didn't even have an option to go with him. How did this transaction take place? Well, well, wait. First, Cody brought Jey Uso to... That's right. That's right. Right? He made that arrangement somehow, but but it was never said, well, there's got to be a tit for the tat, as they say. But then later on, a week or two or later, however long later, well, if he came here, somebody's got to go there. Not, not really. Who, when they did the trade, remember they, they took people in groups of fucking five from one <laughs> side of the, uh, it wasn't even right. in terms of numerical living, breathing bodies. But then they they announced that afterwards and kind of slipped it in. So maybe people would think, oh, it was always supposed to be that way. So now they apparently just took this guy against his will away. They were the tag team champions, but we're going to break up that team. We're going to take this guy away from his partner against his will and put him over on the other TV show where he'll be on the network show that's seen by a bunch more people. No wonder Sammy's pissed. That's something they should do. They should have like a Kurt Flood, a guy who refuses the trade. I'm not going there. I didn't sign a contract to go wrestle there. You can't treat me like this and just trade me wherever you want. There you go. But no, instead, Kevin Owens is there. And now we got angry, emoting Sammy Zayn and more of him right now, right? Well, the, he's going to emote some more emoting because they come back from the break and they're in the back and Jay is trying to befriend him and, you know, say, hey, I'm, you know, I'm with you, whatever. the And Sammy's not sure. You know, it, it should be Kevin. I'm thinking that I, uh, the next thing he's going to say is Adam. Um, but then as Jay walks off, Sammy thinks better of it and he runs up, Jay, Jay, and he apologizes. I'm sorry, man. I don't know what I'm thinking. Oh, remember when the goddamn baby faces in wrestling were heroes and knew exactly what they were fucking thinking and didn't take shit off people and tried to, fight for the fans and the, you know, the American way or whatever the fuck, instead of these neurotic, friendless little twits that we've got now that nobody would want to be like. Just a thought. But anyway, I wrote that this was AEW-like, although the performances were more professional. What'd you think? Do you remember now? I wouldn't say it's AEW. I did watch this part. I wouldn't say it was AEW-like because it actually works. Because that's the big difference. When the fans are actually invested in it, it really works. And it's not completely over-the-top cheesy. You know, you can't compare Sammy well, Trent, and... Th- this is being done seriously, and the performances are good. It's kind of the same subject matter. If, if It's the difference between a high school play of The Man Who Came to Dinner and the actual movie with Monty Woolley. The ridiculous part of everything right here backstage, for instance, with Jey Uso and Sammy is that there's a cameraman standing there literally (laughs) running with him. And he's never referenced or looked at or acknowledged. They don't look into the camera, none of that. In AEW, like the Adam Cole, Roddy Strong stuff, there's a cameraman there seemingly for days on end filming these nonstop childish exploits that are unentertaining and unfunny. With slow, motion, with slow motion face, face making. Yeah, and then trying to turn it into The Hangover or something, and it's horrible. 
So I don't think it's a fair comparison. Even if you don't like the acting and wrestling, it's not a fair comparison. All right. I, I'm suitably chastened and I take it back. There, there was similarity in the subject matter, but a difference of professionalism in how it was handled on a variety of levels. How's that? That's pretty good. Well, there you go. Have you thought about working in wrestling? That was pretty good, sir. Well, I'm just trying to tell you, but speaking is something that wasn't pretty good. The first match on this marathon program was a Falls Count Anywhere match because now Ricochet and Shaky Nakamura are at each other's throats, and it's a, it's a blood feud, ladies and gentlemen, the likes of which we've never seen. The animosity has risen. It was a, a fucking great promo that fucking, um, oh, God damn it. Who was it? One of Bruiser's guys. It was, uh, it was, I think it might've been Ox Baker said, well, and, and Dick the Bruiser hit me over the head with a tire iron and the animosity has grown since then. Yeah, I mean, <laughs> that would kind of do it. But anyway, so of course it's a Falls Count Anywhere match, no disqualification, no count out of ring. So they jump started it and immediately went to the floor. And within two minutes, they were fighting in the gorilla position, and Ricochet was parkouring off the referee to attack Shaggy Nakamura. And then they go back to the stage, and they go to the break, and they come back, and as soon as they come back, Ricochet does a... Was it a triple Lindy backflip out of the stands onto Shaggy and eight random security guards? And after that death-defying move, which was ridiculous in itself, Shaky took over for the heat with a, a box of popcorn. I don't think it was and, a triple indie, maybe a double indie, because I think a triple indie would need three different levels to jump one after another after another off. I think it was a, a different level of stupidity. Why did Oh, that's true. I didn't think of it from that angle. You're right. Again... And the fans are all around. As a matter of fact, I think he held on to one guy's, one fat guy's hand so he could get up on the railing and turn around and do that or whatever the fuck. If that's not another balcony jump that I saw here recently. And somebody's going to get sued and somebody's going to get killed and who gives a shit? It just, it's ridiculous at this point. So then, Shaky, back at the ring, pulls out a table, sets up the table, and then gets not one but two sets of foam nunchucks. And you can tell they're foam <laughs> if there was any doubt. And by the way, people have taken exception to the way that I pronounce nunchucks. And they apparently don't know how to pronounce and think that I'm pronouncing it wrong because they don't know how to pronounce the nunchucks, Brian. How do you pronounce nunchucks? Well, I'm from the Northeast. I speak a little differently. Nunchucks. Well, see, but here's the problem. The problem is, if you're like... We, oh, we only had Kung Fu Theater on TV every weekend, but go ahead. Well, no. Well, see, my cousin Larry, I'll have you know, was a black belt in Taekwondo uh, in 1972. But nevertheless, a lot of people say, well, them nunchucks. That's the shit kickers, them numchucks or nunchucks. Did you say numb? Numb. A lot of people say numchucks. He oh. got him with the numchucks. And other people say nunchucks. 
But the proper Christian name, well, actually, it's probably not Christian because it's from the the Far East, but <laughs> the proper name of the nunchucks is the nunchaku. So therefore, if you're doing it right, if you're going to give them a nickname, it's nunchucks. They got to bring you back. You've done more in the last minute to sell me on Nakamura than they've done in three years. You got to manage Nakamura. Oh, well, let me You could be his Gary else. Hart. You could be the Gary Hart that Nakamura is Nakamura. Well, let me, let me, Nakamura needs something because here's what they did with the foam nunchucks. He takes them and he does the, the, the routine with them under the arm and et cetera, et cetera. And you can kind of tell right there that those aren't solid, but nevertheless, then he hits Ricochet several times with them. And again, if you hit somebody like that, even on the legs with real nunchucks, you're going to be able to tell. But then did you see what he did with them after he had finished hitting Ricochet? No, this was one of those. I'll see what's on the other channel. Okay. Matches. Well, I had I had to see because this just had all the makings of chaos. He fuck. He's got one in each hand and he's whipping them around, hitting Ricochet, and then he just flung them behind him. I mean, way behind him, and their foam. They took off like a rocket, and you could hear the crowd ooh because they were heading over the rail toward the front front row. And they went off camera, but you can tell you as you saw one of the security guys sitting with his back to the ring saw something fly by and turn to the right. But the the fucking fake nunchucks he threw into the fucking front row. A people then know that they're fake, but B, if you saw what you even potentially believed was a real pair of nunchucks running at you or flying at you at a high rate of speed. You would duck or dodge or whatever. Somebody could have got fucking hurt, run over. He just threw him a fucking way. Well, if you thought the styrofoam head shears from Brutus the Barber Beefcake were a big mover for kids, when do you have the Nerf Nunchucks? <laughs> the Nerf Nunchucks. Nakamura. Now, now available at WWE Shop. <laughs> the way Leap and Lanny used to throw his Frisbees out into the crowd. Yeah, Nakamura could just oh. fling nunchucks. <laughs> <laughs> just take a big bag and just start sidearming them. And pe people would be dug like, what the fuck? No, and, and remember, did, I've told you the Bruce Brothers hockey puck story, right? The, I don't know this one, no. We're in Johnson City, Tennessee at Freedom Hall. It's the Heavenly Bodies, Tom Pritchard and Jimmy Del Rey against Ron and Don Harris, the Bruise Brothers. The Bruises have switched babyface. They've broken away from my camp. And now they're having the big angle with the bodies. And we have a street fight match. And I worked out a spot with Tom and Jimmy. And it actually didn't need the involvement of the Bruce brothers. But as I found out later on, we got it. But w one of the gimmicks that I had that I handed into the heavenly bodies when they're trying to get some heat on the Bruce brothers was a slapjack, which was made from a men's dress sock. Like you can see this in the gangster movies, right? Or whatever the men's dress sock, black dress sock. And my gimmick one has some cardboard and a little bit of uh, toilet paper padding and some change in it to give it a little bit of sound and oomph when you hit somebody with it, but it ain't going to hurt anybody unless, you you know, you fucking put their eye out with it or whatever. Use a silver dollar. Yeah. <laughs> well, no, yeah. It, and 
And so anyways, I've, I've crafted these things from long years of doing this in the locker room with the materials that ha- I had on hand. So when they get the heat, they grab the slapjack and they hit the fucking Bruce Brothers over the head with it. Of course, they're selling it. They don't have to be hit with a real one to sell it. And then they, the bodies throw it back to me and I put it back in my jacket. Well, now later on, I'd worked out with Tom. Let's do this. I had a real hockey puck because they'd been playing hockey in the building. And I put it in another sock where it looked almost exactly like that, right? You couldn't tell if if they weren't side by side, you couldn't tell. And what I was going to do was throw it back to Tom and him miss it, overthrow it where it go out to where it would land and skid out into the seats where somebody would pick it up and say, my God, they were hitting those motherfuckers with a real hockey puck, right? And I'd done this with the Midnight Express a couple times. And but this was and then Tom would miss the thing, and that would allow the Bruce brothers to get an opening to start making a comeback and peck him in a, you know, punch him in the face or whatever. But goddamn, I think it was Don Harris when he saw Tom miss the gimmick, he panicked and thought, my God, the fake gimmick is going out into the crowd and it'll be exposed. And he rolled out and grabbed the fucking thing away from the fans and came back in the ring thinking he was going to use it to make the comeback. (laughs) And you've never, the fucking bodies were running and diving. No, no, they were screaming, no, no, don't hit me for real. (laughs) And he was so fired up, he didn't notice the difference in weight. And he's swinging and he's running after him out on the floor and they had to say, no, goddammit, they stopped him for real to get the goddamn gimmick away from him. But anyway, nevertheless, so... You know, I didn't know how much I was going to enjoy this Raw review until it started. <laughs> <laughs> as long as we don't have to talk about the actual show, um, Ricochet leaped off the top rope through a table. Uh, basically on his own, he was climbing the top rope, but Shaky kicked him, and he kind of sold the kick and then looked to see where the table was and then leaped off. He leaped off and went through the table and Shaky pinned him down there because it was false count anywhere. And that was the end of that. And then uh, uh, multiple girls argued in the back, which led to Piper Niven taking on Natalia in a scintillating single contest. What was Piper's name before? Kumquat or Dewdrop? Dewdrop. Apparently Vince wanted her to be a Dewdrop and... Triple H wants her to be a Piper. That'd be a good book. Like the last five years of Vince's ideas. You know, Dewdrop, Max Dupree, Golden Egg. Like just at least all he, these awful ideas that got At least team. he wasn't Max Dewdrop. I guess you th- so. You think he, it, it was kind of like he didn't want another Piper in the WWF. Like he didn't want another Shane because of Shane McMahon or another Sean because of Shawn Michaels. You know, that is, that is smarter than having 18 cages and 14 pages in the same company. But there has to be room in between. I always thought Vince took it too far. Like, there couldn't be a second guy on the roster with the name Shane or something. But also, AEW, like, everyone's either an Adam or a Cage <laughs> or a Page. <laughs> Everyone has the same name over there. Well, and, you know, not a lot of people are going to mistake Piper Niven for Roddy Piper, I don't think, at this point. No. They're probably not not going to make that. It's not going to be product confusion. Speaking of product confusion, so we're in the back with the Judgment Day, and Damian Priest is telling everybody that they need to take out Drew. 
But then Rhea walks in and says, Drew is handled. And this is one of those where they give them... It, 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 somebody's there trying to write movie scenes. I'm sure probably most of the people there are trying to write movie scenes. And Rhea comes out the best because she's a little bit more natural at it. But this inter, I wrote this interaction is so scripted. They each have to go back. They're writing fucking television and movie scenes instead of goddamn letting the wrestling talent discuss things in a manner in which they would. And I hate it for when the top talent still has to do this fucking hokey shit. Is this the ultimate fruition of Dusty Rhodes saying he's going to make motion pictures and sitcoms? Is this what that looks like on wrestling? Unfortunately, maybe now we know why he never got to making them. Maybe he had a premonition that that might be what when he started thinking about, are these wrestlers actors or should they be? Maybe he realized, well, we, you know. Other than the classic learning the ropes. Yeah. Yeah, they shot that in Toronto. I, de I declined one time, I think, or just didn't answer the phone or something. They got Stan to go up there and do one show for whatever reason. That but then... Go ahead. I was going to say, that aired on Channel 5 in New York after WWF Wrestling on the weekend. And it was weird in the summer of 89 when it aired. You'd watch Tully and Arn on the show with Bobby Heenan, and next thing you know, they're on a sitcom right after wrestling. Yeah, and, and the thing is, again, they shot the, the television program, the sitcom part in Toronto, but they would just take dark match footage from Crockett Promotions TV tapings, and sometimes they would do a different introduction, like, you know, I can't remember what Lyle Alzado's masked man name was. Was he the masked gimmick or whatever the fuck? They would do a different introduction than they'd done in the building or whatever, but uh, or they would just have... Stan went out one time and had a singles match against, I think it was George South or Gary Royal under a mask just so they could splice that in that he'd had a singles match and he was sitting there in the locker room by himself when in walked whoever the fuck walked in. Lyle Alzado. That was a not very fucking funny situation comedy. It wasn't about the comedy. It was about seeing your favorite wrestlers on some weird sitcom after wrestling. Well, maybe because you were 10 or whatever. Nine. I was nine. It was a big Okay, deal. well, and that was then apparently you were the audience it was aimed at because nobody else liked that fucking program, and it was a fucking, oh, God, it was rotten. No, and when I was nine, we had that and roller games, and the next year, American Gladiators rolled in. They rolled in? They rolled in right after Superstars of Wrestling. Ro rolled in right after roller games? Rock and roller games. Rock and roller games. Did you like rock and roller games? Did you give it, it a did, chance because it was roller derby or a version of no, roller derby? No, I, I, I gave up on any uh, uh, resurrection of roller derby after they had the, what was it, roller jam on the Nashville network with the piranhas oh, yeah. in, the, in the goddamn, uh, the, the pool over the figure eight track and all that shit. I said, well, they've gimmicked that up too to the point where you can't believe it. That's every roller derby revival. Oh my God, they're going to try. Yeah. Maybe this will be, it's like wrestling. Maybe this will be something. Nope. They're just now, going down that same road that killed him the first time. But speaking of the same road that killed him the first time, Seth Franklin Rollins came to the ring on Raw wearing 
what I can only describe as a negligee direct from dressing for pleasure in Montclair, New Jersey. They didn't even get a, a they didn't charge for a, that plug, but uh, I just thought, you know, that's the only place you find something possibly this erotic or exotic for a fucking guy that's six foot three and 230 pounds or whatever. In Montclair. Over here in Mont. Have you ever been over to Montclair? I've been to Montclair. Very nice area. Uh, have you been to Dressing for Pleasure? I am not familiar with this venue, no. Boy, they, they can sell all kinds of things over there. So then I wasn't going to listen to this, but then Drew McIntyre came out. And I started listening, and he was good, but then Seth started speaking, and I immediately didn't care anymore. And I said, well, fuck this segment. And basically, whatever they said, it took them 10 minutes to say it. But the point is, is that Drew is not happy with the way that people are forgiving Jey Uso, and Drew believes that he should be more prominently featured, and Drew feels that he's been ill-used by not having the championship belt that Seth has, and he's just, uh, you and me against the world, but fuck the you, it's just me. That's that's what Drew McIntyre is feeling like these days. Well, he hit Rollins with a few of the things that we've said, you know, specifically that I've said. You know, here's a guy that couldn't get over with his previous gimmicks. They were just annoying and over the top, and it was like a guy trying to figure out a gimmick as opposed to anything that feels real. This one, people like singing the music, that's <laughs> for sure. But the gimmick's terrible, and it's completely synthetic. It's completely fake. And he said it right to his face on Raw. Well, goddamn, does that maybe that means that they've realized that everything that he said was true and they're going to let Seth drop this whole pirouetting Jack Nicholson Joker fucking whatever the fuck's going on? No, they're going to ride this a while longer, I think. Uh, but it's, it's a sign that Drew is fed up and he's willing. He's going to turn heel by telling the truth. That no good son of a bitch, all he does is tell the truth. We can't handle that shit. The most hated we wrestler hate here. Yeah, the most hated wrestler in the promotion, ladies and gentlemen. Here's Honest John. <laughs> <laughs> and he, his catchphrase is, I cannot tell a lie. <laughs> Followed by, you suck, and here's why. <sighs> well, we're talking about Raw, and there's, yeah, so much, there's so much more to talk about with Raw. Yeah, there's certainly not, but we're going to talk about it anyway. They did a nice little package on Bronson Reed. Did you see that? It was all right. They've done too many of these to me in the last year for him, and then used them in a shitty way for me yeah. to pay too close attention anymore. Well, that's the thing. History is repeating itself over it. But, but now he's he's still a polite, well-spoken monster. It is not any Vader in him or any fucking Crusher Blackwell or any Bam Bam Bigelow or whatever. But they were calling him Mr. Nice Guy, remember? And now they've changed that to the incredible groundbreaking nickname of big Bronson Reed. Yeah. The Mr. Nice guy stuff was just a few months ago. Like yeah. I said, this is, and it a, sucked. It sucked. It's another round of vignettes in the past. Like even the shitty wrestlers or the shitty gimmicks, like Skinner was in the swamp until he got there. And then you never saw any more vignettes with him in the swamp ever again. 
Bronson Reed had vignettes, a debut vignettes. Another probably brought him back again vignettes, and they, he keeps losing. So another nickname. Another nickname. Big Bronson Reed. And and by the way, Bronson, Big Bill Dromo would like to have a word with you. What about Big Bill? Well, I think obviously they're, that they're trying to do long term storytelling whenever wwe ends up buying aw in bankruptcy court or whatever happens that'll be like the lawler savage they'll have been promoing it for five years big bill versus big bronson reed for the title of big could wrestling ever have another hacksaw would people too closely associated with jim duggan well, but because we had if, three, we had three within a year in 1983, and then we never had another yeah. one ever again. Well, but what what about if if Hacksaw Duggan gave the new Hacksaw the official blessing and maybe and a souvenir two by four? Two by then four. that might yeah. work. Also, by the way, we talked about this on SmackDown. They're doing it on Raw. AEW is buying television commercials for their. November 1 Louisville debacle this is shaping up. They're buying commercial spots on Raw. Not only that, but they sent Big Show, Paul White, down to OVW to announce on OVW television. His first time he'd appeared in OVW, they billed it in, what, 15 years or whatever it'd been. Since OVW was OVW. Since OVW was OVW. <laughs> And he did a live interview on OVW TV offering, I think it was two for one tickets. So they're like 10 bucks a piece. And he was just on the WDRB morning news again, you know, plugging the event because apparently I misspoke on the last program we did when we were talking about it. I said, they'd only sold 3000 something tickets. Apparently they have not yet sold 3000 tickets, or at least as of day or a couple of days ago when, when this publicity onslaught from the former big show began, but it's a 20 plus thousand seat building. I don't know what they're going to. I feel bad for anyone that was at OVW that was excited to see the big show and he gets in the ring like, Oh my God, what's he going to do? I'm here to announce a wonderful deal on tickets. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Buy one, get one, bring everyone down. You know, Jim, AEW coming to Louisville is going to be a hard decision for you. Do you go down and have a good time hating everything you see? Or do you stay at home and sit in a really comfortable chair and enjoy your night and your life, choosing between sitting and watching and sleeping in the Kurt Hennig of sleep chairs, the perfect sleep chair? Well, you know, before it would have been a tough decision, but now it's it's a slam dunk. It's a no-brainer. It's a... How in the world is this even a thing that I need to think about? Because you never want to get out of the perfect sleep chair. Because not only is the perfect sleep chair the perfect sleep chair the perfect chair to sleep in, I said that a bunch more times than I needed to, but it's not only the perfect chair to sleep in, but also it's the perfect chair to sit in or to actually stand up in. This fucking thing, it will make you do a triple Lindy off the roof if you want it to, it goes everywhere. It is adjustable in more positions than Miro's hot and flexible wife, for heaven's sake. And it not only adjusts the footrest and the back and the seat in a variety, an infinite number of combinations, more combinations than they have over at, at Mickey D's on the, on the have it your way menu, but also 
it vibrates and it heats up. So let's say, for example, much like Miro's hot and flexible wife. Much like Miro's hot and flexible wife. It's flexible and hot. But it's not married to anybody, and you can get in it without any conversation whatsoever. You can be right in this thing. You don't even have to talk to it. You don't even have to be nice to it, ladies and gentlemen. You can get in on this thing. It's right there for you. Because the perfect sleep chair does not skimp on quality. It's available in several fabrics, including genuine leather for the stylish look. And we mentioned the incredible positions that you can get into. And if someone can join you in this chair, because I, I didn't see any kind of weight limit on it. I mean, if you're the fat man at the circus, chances are that you might have a problem. But if you're a couple of normal human beings and not some corpulent, well, let's not overfed, say you know, cottage cheese ridden individuals. The two people could get in this chair in a variety of positions that they could be then boosted and vibrated about. Listen, unless there's a problem that in general in regular everyday life requires a forklift, you should be able to get in and out of this chair. People of all sizes, yes. all shapes. Yeah. It is a wonderful, comfortable chair. And in fact, Jim, you brought up the various options. Last night, I found out it goes back even further than the preset sleep button. And well, you that's a wonderful thing to know. You didn't know it. It'll almost turn you upside down if you wanted to. I learned that last night, actually. There you go. And then have you have you hit the eject button yet? Make sure the skylight is open. There is no eject button. You won't have to worry about that. You will have to worry about pressing buttons to control the heat, the massage, and of course, the angle and slope, which you will be sitting. The and angle, the slope, the pitch, the slant. We could go on this thing. It's it's like a roller coaster of emotions all in one recliner. An right. infinite, infinite number of positions. And it, it, again, it'll boost you right up. The, the spring-loaded mechanism that will boost you right up to your feet and beyond. Ladies and gentlemen, a couch has never been able to do these type of things. A, a Certainly a fold-up lawn chair. Or one of those uh, Dirondack models can never do these kind of things. You can only get this from the, the folks that manufacture the perfect sleep chair, which is, you need go no further than the website shopjourney.com. That's who's responsible for this thing. They've sold more than 100,000 perfect sleep chairs over at Journey Health and Lifestyle, and they deliver the chair directly to you. So you don't have to worry about throwing it on your back or having your wife carry it and lug it at home from the store. It's coming right to your door. And then you just point and they will put it wherever it needs to be. Uh, there is some surcharge if you want to put it in a tree or potentially up on the roof. Up on the roof. I'm pretty sure the delivery will not be supplying anyone with anything on the roof or in a tree. Well, you know, when this right in the front door or maybe even your garage or the back door, depending on how big these doors are. But we will get we well, they will get this chair live in your house. mind. Maybe you have a house with no doors, but when this old world starts getting you down and things are just too rough for you to bear, you go up way up on the top of the roof and you sit in your perfect sleep chair. See. That's right. So you might want to be on the roof, and you're going to have to pay these people to put this thing on the roof if you want it. It'll be, a, me it'll be a metaphorical roof in your little brill building in your mind there, but no, they will not be putting anything on your roof. 
Well, you, that's what I said. You're going to have to pay them extra. No, there's no payment required for the shipping. No, no. On they're going to charge the... extra to put it on the roof. They only bring it to your house for free. No one's See, putting anything not understanding in your... what I'm saying, but the oh, thing no, I'm is, understanding. Again, if you live in a home with no doors, then you're going to have to figure your own shit out. Maybe you should be in a home. Well, and that's where we're trying to put this chair. Wide variety of color choices fits any decor. If you're looking for the best TV watching chair, the best chair to watch wrestling in, the best chair to binge watch Netflix, or the best chair to, like I do, fire up the old VCR and plunk in a good vintage VHS tape, right now head to shopjourney.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE at checkout for $125 off your order. And that is, again, I think that's one of the largest discounts that we have ever provided to the needy listeners of our program out there who might be shivering in an unheated chair this winter, who might be laying in an immobile chair that doesn't vibrate or doesn't back up or turn you upside down or jump down, turn around, or pick a bale of cotton. You can get $125 off a chair that'll do everything for you. And boy, wait till you find that special gripping attachment. Shopjourney.com. For chairs, not not fantasy attachments that are only on sale in Montclair. Well, that's that's why you got to go to Montclair, New Jersey to get the gripping attachment. You never have to leave this chair. Shopjourney.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE at checkout. For $125 off your order of the perfect sleep chair. Any and all attachments mentioned by Jim Cornette are not real. Are fun. They are made up in the head of Jim Cornette. They are unsanctioned. They are not officially a part of the wonderful perfect sleep chair, which you can get today. What's the promo code, Jim? That is shopjourney.com slash JCE, the promo code JCE. Well, Jim, one of the great things about the perfect sleep chair is you could watch Raw in it, you could relax, you could possibly fall asleep, and before anyone falls asleep, how much more Raw was there here? I was about to say you could possibly fall asleep watching Raw to begin with, but uh, I wonder, wonder, oh, but oh, oh, how much is there to go? Well, Kaiser Wilhelm wrestled Johnny's same face. Um, Drew had a confrontation hey, with sammy go ahead can i ask you about same face oh please don't but go ahead if they are going to use him because he's a favorite of Shawn michaels and triple h is the best way to use him in a tag team with champa <sighs> if they're well, going if they're going to use it, if they're not selfishly because then i wouldn't want to watch tomaso's matches because they would involve same face but if they're going to, he needs to be with somebody. Because look at that fucking moop face and that, there he is. He's a fucking middle schooler. And he would have been a good masked wrestler. No, he wouldn't have. In the cruiserweight division. At some no, point. he wouldn't have. <laughs> because he's still boring as fuck. He just does moves. And he and his both his comedy wife are also unbearable on the vignettes. 
Remember, we were we were in their home weekly on NXT a few years ago. Yeah, who knows? Maybe they're seeing the stuff with Roddy Strong and thinking, you know, maybe that's a place we can go and get out our creative ideas. And I wish he would. It would help everybody out because I could skip him as easily as I skip him here, there, and it would help the WWE product. And it can't make AEW any worse because I think they've they've hit that fucking. Can you? Can you be can you be worse than that? Well, I well Robert, don't dare anybody. Robert right? Fuller and Jerry Jarrett. It can get well, worse. <laughs> it can get worse. All right. But nevertheless, Drew is indeed not happy with Sammy because he's forgiven Jey Uso so easily. And Sammy says that, you know, well, the thing he's worked hard and this guy's, you know, believing him, and that guy's believing him. Drew, you're the only one that's not believing Jay. And Drew said, well, that's easy for you to say because you'll never be a world champion trusting everybody, but, you know, you're not capable of doing that anyway. And Sammy, well, says, well, you can find out whether I'm at world champion level next week if you want. So now apparently next week we're going to get Sammy Zayn versus Drew McIntyre, which at least we haven't seen before to my knowledge. I don't know whether we want to see it again after we see it, but it's interesting. They've done enough in a week to make me slightly interested in Drew for the first time in a while. Maybe he's right. Imagine if this is all the setup, Jay. The plan was for the bloodline to send Jay off to in like Vince. <laughs> remember the rumor that Vince McMahon sent Vince Russo to WCW on purpose? Like kill yeah. them. <laughs> Do all your ideas. Kill them. Well, no, he he did. He did probably uh encourage. Uh, all those ideas from afar, but yeah. What if it's that? If it's Jay Uso turning on Cody, turning on Sammy in effect, because you're proving Sammy to be a idiot for accepting him, just like Drew's saying. And boy, there's a way to really heat up the bloodline stuff. Or Drew's just picky. But I guess we'll find out. We'll find out. So Rhea. Came out for her match, but she got to do a little in-ring promo, Monday Night Mommy. And it was brief, but it's, again, to the point with her, and she does a great heel promo because she not only delivers the, the message well, but she's got attitude. And she's talking about Nia Jax and Raquel and Shayna, but it's her division, and she's always going to be on top. Mommy's always going to be on top. And then Rhea wrestled for Shayna real. Baszler. And for real, she should be. For like the next yes. decade, she should be the biggest star in women's wrestling. And uh, did you watch this? Because I figured, okay, Rhea and Shayna Baszler, I'm going to watch this. I watched a little bit of it, yeah. I, and They don't make it honestly, easy to watch the matches. I mean, they, they do enough to drive you away when the commercial hits. Well, yes, because, well, because they haven't done enough to hook you by the time the commercial hits. But it was good wrestling. They're aggressive. Shayna is good with somebody that can work because she's a real athlete and got the background. But Rhea Ripley's selling is incredible. And even though she's in the heel group, the people like her when she's on her own and she can get away with being in the, the babyface position at some point in the match without fucking anything up. And... Right as she hit the one-armed powerbomb on Shayna, just suddenly here came Nia Frigidaire coming out. 
And before she could get in the ring, Raquel jumped on her. And here came Zoe. And I tried to keep track of this. Raquel threw Zoe in the ring. But the referee didn't do anything until Zoe actually kicked Rhea. And then, she, uh, then he called for the DQ. And then Rhea threw Zoe onto Shayna. And then it was kind of flat as a plate full of piss right there as far as a finish to a good match. But then Rhea and Zoe beat up Nia. But when Rhea picked up Nia for the slam, then Zoe kicked them both over. And then everybody kind of rolled out. Good match, rotten finish. Great commentary. I felt like I was there. Well, I tried to keep it accurate as much as possible and hit the high spots. Um, what do you think? No Michael Cole? Well, it was announced he had the week off for some purpose, personal reasons. Had a, possibly a meeting with his parole officer, I'm not sure. But uh, it, it was not like he just didn't show up or whatever is what you're saying, right? Right. Yes. Well, don't season, try to season premiere, no Michael Cole. That's what I'm saying. Don't try to stir up trouble where there is none. The man had asked off probably for, you know, months ahead of time for only the third time he's missed a show in 25 years just so he can go to his grandchildren's in vitro fertilization party. And you've got to cast aspersions at him. I'm Heaven sorry. Said. I'm sorry. All righty. You want to get to the good match? There's yeah. always one. Yeah. Um, the Intercontinental title was on the line with Gunther against Big Bronson Reed. And this, again, Gunther's brilliant because he works completely differently against big guys and small guys. Whereas with the small guys, he's going to milk the chop. He's going to wait to for the people to make the people wait to finally hear it land, and he's only going to use a few because it's a little guy. But with this big 400-pound fuck, they started right at the, at, the, uh, at the bell, the chops, the tackles, the kicks, because he's got to fight more now, Gunther does, to get a guy of this size down. And Bronson Reed, to me, has uh, he does great stuff, but when he's just doing stuff nonstop without a change of the pace, that's kind of been his thing where he'll try to do too much shit. And I like that Gunther slowed it down a little bit with the sleeper, but then obviously would put Bronson Reed's power over. And to the point where he took a backdrop on the apron, Gunther did. But with a guy that wide, you've got a pretty good base. But anyway, then by the time they got deeper into the match with the two counts, it was big moves. Bronson Reed hit a Death Valley driver, got a two count. Gunther with a clothesline got a two count. And then finally, when Bronson Reed hit that big superplex off the top rope, it got a two count, but got a big pop, you know, because people were starting to buy this. This might be it. And then... Reed misses the splash off the top. Gunther hits the drop kick, the clothesline, splash off the top. Two count. Holy shit. And then he had to spin him into and pick him up for and give him a powerbomb. And one powerbomb on a guy the size of Bronson Reed 
It makes sense. That's it because you just picked up 400 pounds and dropped him on his fucking head. One, two, three. It was a great finish that built the people were, it was back and forth enough that they were on the roller coaster. They created enough doubt that people started popping on Bronson Reed's false finishes. And then it took Gunther more than it takes the average or more than it takes him for the average opponent for him to put the guy away. But still, it wasn't a ridiculous five power bombs on a 400-pound guy. It wasn't stupid. So this I actually liked in the middle of this dreary New Orleans funeral march. Another good Gunther match. What is it, a month, month and a half straight? Good Gunther match or good Gunther segment in the middle of the show? Good Gunther. That's what we ought to start saying every time we see a good match. Good Gunther. Is he your favorite wrestler today? With Ripley, Breaker, Gunther, and a couple of others, probably he's in top five, certainly. All right. Anyway. There's some news. Some Some of the people in Jim's top five favorite wrestlers today. Well, how can you not? Because they're the best or are going to be the best in the business at what they're doing or are going to be doing. If you include AEW, who are your favorite wrestlers today? Well, I mean, besides, honestly, in AEW right now, besides FTR in tag team matches with the right opponents and not, you know, some of their clowns um, and MJF for his verbal ability and his potential, he so seldom has a match these days. They're always good, but they're rare. And his presentation now handicaps him from being as entertaining as he used to be. Besides that, is there anybody in AEW that's currently on my favorites list? So it was Rhea Ripley, Gunther, Braun Breaker, who am I forgetting? FTR and, and MJF FTR, I just mentioned. MJF. No Cody Rhodes? Well, Cody said, well, you asked about AEW. I said combined. I said all together, your favorite wrestlers. Oh, well, I was, I was going over to the other side of the fence for that. Cody's doing a great job, but I'm not, I'm not surprised. Some of these people, I'm like, wow. You know, I'm, I'm really surprised they're that good. With Cody, I'm not really surprised, but I enjoy watching him as, unless it's, you know, typical average television match that we might skip every so often. Would you say Charlotte is one of your favorites? Charlotte would have to. Well, you can't have a, uh, you know, it's the old fucking cliche. You can't have one midget. You've got to have another girl. And <laughs> that well, old I'm cliche. You, yeah, yeah. That old cliche. Well, it, it happens sometimes. So you got to. And, and Charlotte's the best of the. The rest of the female division in any company, is she not? So so someone like Juice Robinson, you wouldn't put him on that list yet, but he's someone you've enjoyed I, most of I his like work so far? I like watching him, but I'm, I like watching Juice, and I like hearing him talk when he gets to, but I'm not advocating that he be the next face of the company at this point. And then someone like Jay Lethal, who would have been on this list if I had asked you a few years ago, it's just where he's been, how he's been used, where he's been used, on what shows he's been used, right? Yeah, exactly. What are all the, the answers to all those questions? You sh- see him in a group every once in a while. When he wrestles, he gets beat. And otherwise, he's just there for one of the Stooges to dive on him so he can catch him. So, Is Austin Theory on your list? 
a theory would be on the list, but at the same time, I'm I'm a bigger fan of Gunther than I am of Theory because Theory is still young and he's going to get better. Gunther's had a lot of experience. He's still getting better. He's improved his physique, but Gunther's pretty perfect. Theory's still got development to do as he gets older. So to my original question, is Gunther your very favorite today? Okay, I guess, yeah, he is. Then you beat it out of me. Gunther's my guy. I rest my case. Good Gunther. All right. Well, this is your show. Well, this is my, was that the end of Raw? No. Yeah. <laughs> well, let's end this Raw. Was there much more well, Raw? Not much. Um, Good Gunther. Miz was in the back, and he did a Miz promo, and he was... <laughs> He must have known what was going to come because he was really animated and lively. And then Nia Jax walked in and just grabbed the microphone and turned to face the camera and spoke like if you did an AI recording, but with less emotion and less natural flow, it was like they put Sable's brain in a sperm whale. Or if you went to AI and you said, give me a promo from The Rock's cousin who has no talent but has a job because she's The Rock's cousin. That was about what that was. Yeah. And then Rhea was mad at Pierce for letting other people interrupt her matches. So to solve this problem, Pierce said that she could defend the title in a fatal five way at Crown Jewel against all these other girls. So now... Yeah, that helped the problem. Yeah, we can't... Well, not only did it help the problem, but now we can look forward to Rhea's big match or big show match because it's going to be a five way and they all suck no, no matter who's in them. And then model girl Gable and Otis were doing exercises and the new day came in and danced and sang. I ain't making that up. And then we get to the main event of raw, the tag team title match with J judgment day against Jay and Cody. And as I mentioned at the top of this, dissertation the judgment day entrance started at 10 29 p.m eastern time and the bell rang for the match at 10 44 so they they had 15 minutes in between the start and the finish of that and they only had 15 minutes left on the air and I, there was there one break or two breaks in that time i think there was one break but nevertheless Cody, as you mentioned just a few minutes ago, is one of my favorites to watch because he and, and Finn, too, if they're working, they're smooth as silk, right? Which Jay is not exactly smooth as silk, and Priest is, we're a fan of Priest, but he's you wouldn't say he's smooth as silk yet. But Cody and Finn are smooth as silk. But then I was like, what the fuck? Are they double parked? They're, they're rushing. They stopped Jay within seconds. They started a little heat and got 30 seconds that and tagged Cody in to make a comeback. And I'm like, my God, have they, have they gotten word that, you know, they're running behind or whatever the fuck? But they were just wanting to... They had four minutes before they were going to go to the break after all of that preamble to get this thing started. So they wanted to get a comeback going and Cody get a two count. And then they got into a four way and Cody hit the crossroads on priest. And that was what brought Dominic out to put Priest's leg on the ropes and break it up. And then Cody could chase Dom around 
until Finn could stop him and they had a little break spot there. But at one point I was like, this is going to be a world record short fucking match. And then when they came back, they really, even though that most of the WWE TV matches and pay-per-view matches look so similar because they're all done the same, follow the same patterns, involve the same people or lit the same way, shot the same way. Every once in a while, you get some people that just know how to build up a fucking finish. And I think probably Cody was instrumental in this, at least being the general in the ring. But after they got cooking and started going, they had all kinds of shit going on. And the people were up and down. Cody uh, and, and Jay finally did the flapjack and cutter double team for a two count. And then Cody went and dove on Priest outside, but Priest caught him in a goozle and choke slammed him on the apron and cleared the desk off. But Jay went to the top. And at that point, Priest and Dominic got at cross purposes because they both went to Jay and Dominic was supposed to. But when he saw Priest go to Jay, he jumped down and then Priest had to sell something that Jay didn't throw when he realized to get away from him. And then Dom got back up and pulled Jay's leg. But then Jay kicked him off and hit the splash or did the splash, but Finn raised his knees, got a two count. Here came Sammy out and he's beating up Dominic and Priest posts Sammy and Cody throws Priest over the rail and Finn stops Cody. And Priest kicks Cody in the balls and gives him a razor's edge through the desk while Jay dives on Priest, but Finn stops Jay and the drop kick and the double stomp, but it misses and Jay hits a spear and then spears Priest. And then Jimmy Uso appears out of nowhere and super kicks Jay and Finn hits the stomp. One, two, three, new champions after what, two or three weeks? That's how long they had it. But Nobody expected it, and they got a little fucking babyface run out of it to make themselves seem legitimate. What do you think? I think it was all right, but it's hard for me to get into this because I've seen a combination of all these guys in a tag match to end this show every week, seemingly for the last 17 years. <laughs> No, it's been, it seems like it's either a three-way or a tag match or a singles match that has multiple people at ringside. And I get it. They're the stars of the show, the Judgment Day and the baby faces, but something has to happen other than just another match to... Uh, a potential title change isn't enough to make me interested. Well, I'll tell you, of all the matches that I've seen between these people, this was certainly the most recent. All right. Well, that was Raw. And boy, was it. <laughs> And uh, we're going to move on here with the show for everyone's benefit. Jim, let's get all the reviews out of the way that see how much time we have left. AEW Dynamite this past oh, week. Oh, boy. Where were they? Do you remember where they were? Houston. Well, Houston, they, that's right. Houston, Texas. They were in a suburb of Houston in a building I've never heard of, but it was the greater Houston area. So let's, you know, clarify that. They were saying Houston. It's like when Vince... When Vince doesn't like they're in the suburbs and he just says, ah, fuck it, say we're in the New York area or whatever. But 
I understand they we're, we're we'll talk about the ratings, I guess, but I understand they bounced back from their drubbing last week to actually put up a number for this show that's better than by like fifty thousand people than what they were doing before. And I saw somebody on Twitter or wherever said this, and it seems like it's true. Every time they do a good number, they do a rotten show. And then the next week, they might do a good show, or for them, but they do a rotten number because people are like, what the fuck was that last week? And I... This was, this was something. Let's just hit the high points. The first match was Penthouse against Jay White, and I don't mean that that was a high point. But you will notice a pattern emerging here on the on the uh, review as we go forward. Penthouse jump-started it before the bell with a dive out of the ring on everybody but his opponent. But then he got him afterwards. And then, did you, did you love... I know Taz is trying to to do his job, even though they, they don't give him much to work with and to come up with some way to not get any on him when this shit happens. But penthouse runs and does a dive on everybody on the floor and then gets on Jay white and then throws him in the ring and goes to the top and does a double foot stomp off the top onto Jay white. And then the referee rings the bell and drops down to count. So obviously it it looked as if the referee had been bribed, but Taz said, well, it, it may look like the referee had been bribed, I guess, or whatever he said. It may look like a referee's an idiot, but the rules are that the match officially starts when both men are in the ring. Where the fuck did that rule come from? Is that a Tony Khan? Tony Khan. Okay. <sighs> You will agree with me that this has never been a rule in any other professional wrestling organization ever that regardless of what has happened, if somebody's been jumped on the floor, whatever the case, that the match officially starts when both people get in the ring and the referee can't, has no discretion of of whether that's the case. That's never, ever been a rule anywhere in the history of wrestling, right? I don't believe so, no. Okay, I just want to make sure. But Taz is trying. So, these guys can't fucking work. Penthouse is the shits. All he cares about is doing his stupid fucking mannerisms that get in the way of the fucking match. He has no logical idea of what to do or when to do it or how to sell it. And Jay White... I think has been in Japan for so long that he's pretty much the same category. After a minute or two, Jay White just cut the guy off and started the heat. There was no healing him down or anything. Penthouse, uh, most of his selling involves adjusting his mask, sticking his tongue out, and waving his hands in the air. And then he totally, because he, there is no logic and psychology to an American audience, to what he or any of the Lucha guys are doing. I'm sorry, it works there, it don't work here. He totally killed the heat that Jay White got because he started back on offense, and we've talked about 
when a baby face is selling and he fights from underneath, that's one thing. Or a hope spot, that's one thing. But when the guy completely takes over and begins offensive shit or ducking and running spots, then you've killed the fucking heat. And he just kind of made a half-ass comeback, and then Jay White stopped him again. And then did you see when Jay White tied his... Because Penthouse has the... What are they? The fucking streamers or goddamn... Tassels? Uh, tassels on his mask. Jay White tried to tie the mask to the ring ropes, and it... He couldn't tie a knot! And the announcer started joking about Jay White couldn't tie a knot because as soon as he tied the knot and let go, the shit fell off by itself. And I mean, this was shit. You could have tied these things in a knot. One would think that a full-grown professional wrestler could rip loose fairly easily. It's an AEW thing. Name one person in AEW who has made, who has successfully taped or knotted their opponent's hands. Or head. Yeah, or handcuffed. Yeah. Remember when Adam Cole got handcuffed and everyone thought he could just walk out of the handcuffs? <laughs> and then the other day, Omega uh, got taped in a rope and they couldn't get the tape to stick They couldn't the get rope. the... If you can't work duct tape, <laughs> God damn it. It's not like there's instructions on the duct tape for people. And of course, they did the spot in the middle of the match where everything slows down, so after all the physicality, we could see who's really tough and I'll show you my chest and you show me yours. Yeah. And we'll slap each other as slow and as hard as we can. Because it's not a work anymore. <laughs> well, that, that again, it, it, when White is beating on Penthouse, Penthouse is on his knees daring him to do more, so he did. And then Penthouse started to come back and did a dive. And then after the dive, he rolls Jay White in. He doesn't cover him. He stands there and makes his stupid fucking hand gesture and lets his opponent get up and then stands there while White starts hitting him. And then he says, wait a minute. He tells his opponent, stop hitting me. I got to take my glove off. <laughs> and Jay White cooperates by standing there stock still and dumbstruck in the same place while Penthouse took his glove off and then turned his back on Jay White and threw the glove to Alex and then drew back and hit Jay White <laughs> right in the mush. And then Jay White turns around and just says, okay, and Penthouse stands there while Jay White chops him. And that went on and on, and in fact, I skipped ahead to the finish, which Penthouse hit some kind of weird move that I can't imagine is good for your spinal column and got a two count. And then Juice hit Penthouse with the TJ Maxx diamond ring that he's wearing now that took the place of the infamous roll of quarters. And Jay White hit his finish, one, two, three. So the challenger for the world heavyweight title can't beat this fucking guy without one of his cohorts knocking him out with a ring first, and then he didn't beat him with the ring. He then picked him up and hit his fucking finish. So it took the ring and the finish to beat this fucking guy. 
You fucking, they're idiots. They don't know how to be heels. Your thoughts? Yeah, not really the style of wrestling I liked. It seemed like the people there were into it, so we'll say that. But a lot of the, you mentioned before, how in the middle of taking off his glove, he just turns around and throws it. There were a couple points, and again, I know it's not just him, but Penta does the thing where his guy's down, so he turns and runs the other way as fast as he can. Yes. It's just, it's all about the cheap pop and so many of these guys' matches, and I don't like it, and uh, there's nothing else I could say. I don't know what else I could say. Well, we were 17 minutes into the program for that so far, and then I thought we were done, and I wrote, my God, he's going to talk now. And Jay White starts talking. It's a rib at this point that they are always in the longest segment of the show and it goes on forever. And Jay White is out there blowed up and he can't start. And then he's trying to cut a promo on MJF, but he's even more whiny voice than normal because he's blown up and nobody wants to hear this guy talk. And he's trying to convince the people that he's over rather than being convinced of it and speaking like it. And then Juice takes the mic, which was an improvement. And he's calling himself the stray bullet instead of the loose cannon, the bullet club or the bang, bang, gang, bang, bang, whatever the fuck they are. I love the voice. I love the promo. I don't want to see it after 19 minutes of this other horse shit, but he swears that he's going to win the battle royal that they're going to have tonight for the shot next week at MJF's Dynamite Diamond Ring, and he's got it even better when his cubic zirconium ring. So that was fine and got the point across, but now by the time he was done and we got those heels out of there, we were 21 minutes into the program. So, then Rene Moxley-Good was in the back with MJF, and again, a well-done promo. He wants Juice to win because the left hand of God is going to meet the right hand of the devil. And again, MJF is glib, and he's great, and he's natural. <sighs> Boy, it just doesn't have the... It doesn't have the oomph of the, the heel MJF, but now I'd, maybe you can help here explain to me. She asks him to give an update on his friendship with Adam Cole. And as he starts to do that, here comes Max Caster and, and Bowens and Billy Gunn, the, the acclaimed and Billy. And they still want an eight-man tag team match. And Caster is pitching this. We want an eight-man tag match, us and you against them guys, and we'll, we'll win all the belts and we'll scissor afterward. And MJF said, no, I'm, I'm good. And then Caster suddenly goes from that where he wants to team with MJF and help him and he's his friend. Well, then what about if I enter the Battle Royal tonight and I win and I beat you next week and then you're going to have to, and he holds his hand out and he says, put a ring on it. And is it my imagination, Brian, or is it my hearing, which we've established as going, but when he stuck his hand out, and said put a ring on it, was he doing a stereotypically effeminate voice that one would do if one was trying to appear or make fun of gay people with his partner standing there who is actually gay 
and well thought of in the community. What are they doing here? Are they trying to piss their people off? Well, again, I think, to be honest, we don't know anything about Max Castor's personal life, so let's not make any assumptions one way or another. No, I'm not making I'm saying that is this bad creative that now Max Castor is having some kind of crush on MJF and is because nobody MJF walks off on him and then Bowen says, hey, too much, dude. And Billy Gunn says that guy's a scumbag. But then Castor with a face like in a sitcom, like at the break of Leave it to Beaver says, yeah, but he's my scumbag. What are they trying to do here? Okay, look, it's it's bad and it's bad, but it's good bad too. It's good, it's good bad in one sense. Apparently, and I mentioned this briefly, but I heard from some other people, MJF and Caster have been doing this online for years. Where Caster is like a creepy lover of MJF, and MJF wants nothing to do with this guy. So they're now brought it onto here. So if you're someone who's been following this on social media, that's what I said was the bad good. This this is playing out. This is something that makes sense. Long-term booking. The problem is, I think, they want to do something probably to heat up the acclaim that they need to, because they need help right now. And having them with babyface MJF on paper should be good for them. But the route they're taking, again, AEW fans will probably accept this and like it because they just want to be in on the joke. But it's whether it's a, uh, a sexual thing or just a, you know, creepy stalker thing. He has some kind of man crush on MJF. Single white male? I guess. But, but, and, you know, and you, you have to think, too, it's eventually going to... Why make your baby faces look like mental cases and like weirdos and creepy or childish or whatever they're doing? I couldn't answer that. I mean, again, this is not and, what and I would do heat to heat up them the up. Accla- heat up the acclaim by putting up with MJF, or are they going to put MJF in a block of ice by having him interact in this fashion with the acclaimed being silly? Again, I don't know. It's uh, It's been an interesting <laughs> series of booking decisions with the acclaimed ever since they got over big time, ever since that match where they didn't win the belts, but the crowd went crazy behind them. It's been a lot of questionable booking since then. Obviously, we know the end game is them teaming up with MJF, you would have to think, because of the way it's all building. Boy, somebody's going to look like Ned and the third reader, or, or Ned and the first reader, or whatever, if, uh, as JR used to say, if, if they don't, but what? All right. Well, that, those are my thoughts on that segment. Hikaru Shida wrestled Emi Sakura. Unfortunately, Emi didn't bring her mustache. And uh, by the way, Emi Sakura also jumped the girl from behind. So by the time that that was over, we were 37 minutes into the show. We'd had two matches and both of them started with a jump start. Hold that thought. Renee Moxley Good was with Edge. And they did this in the back. I don't know. It might have been. It might have been better to do in front of an audience because Edge was incredible in this i thought <laughs> is well no I, you don't yeah. like edge well no because it's like he's doing it for james lipton it's 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 acting it's clearly acting i don't believe him 
I thought it was, well, it, it, here's the problem. He's a good actor then. Instead of the other droning on that you get from these people, and it, he at least delivered it like it was somewhat conversational. He had inflection. He put thought into it. That now he's decided that his whole deal was to end his career with Christian Cage here in this, in this toy land that they've made. But then Christian, like always, he went limber tail on the deal because he's always brought Christian along with him. He's always been the one to prod him. He's always been the one to do things first and bring Christian in on it. And apparently Christian has festered over it, and that's what's led to this jealousy and blah, blah, blah. And Edge says he's still going to be there when the dinosaur and Nick Wayne drop Christian. He'll be there to pick him up. He's not going to fight Christian. He doesn't want Christian's belt, and he's not going to fight his friend. So we've established that Edge doesn't want the match that we know sooner or later. We better get. Um, but I like this because he's better at, at this than most of these fucking indie guys that have never done television. I don't know. I, I don't see it with him. I just don't see it with him. And this whole thing just doesn't make any sense. So he's here to help his friend the dastardly heel <laughs> from himself because these guys are going to drop him like the Judgment Day dropped him. What? What? Why? <laughs> why does that make any sense? Well, you can't go too deep now, Brian. Hey, you know, he used to be my friend. He's acting like a dick. He made some comments about my wife. I did not want to come here and fight him. Now I want to kick his ass. What do I got to do to get a match? No, instead it's... Again, another guy. I'm here to help you from you. I'm here to be here for you when you need me. Well, now remember, Edge is the one that put together a group of heels called the Judgment Day. That's what I said, yeah. So maybe Christian is mad that he didn't get to be in the Judgment Day. And now, what's good for the goose is good for the Adam. <laughs> I guess so. Anyway, speaking By of... By the way, that wasn't, even, that wasn't even the worst acting on this show, though, to be fair. Oh, whoa, no, we're about <laughs> to get to that. No. <laughs> No, we're about to get to that. Um, when did Wardlow uh, lose his spot and get fired and replaced on, on the AEW roster? What do you mean? He's been on the last three weeks. No, this is apparently they put Ethan Page on the gas. That's He's taking the place of Wardlow. Like, remember when the Ultimate Warrior died and they got a fake Ultimate Warrior and replaced him? Same thing. This wasn't Wardlow. This was Ethan Page on the juice. Why do you keep saying that? What, what do you mean? Because that's what he looks He looks like. Now, you, somebody said that on Twitter, and I can't not see it. He looks just like if you jacked Ethan Page up to the gills. Same haircut, same face, same beard or whatever the fuck. Same basic body type, just bigger. And the only thing they can figure out to do with Wardlow now is have him powerbomb people. And the referee stops it, but he only stopped it after one because they took pity on Ryan Nemeth. And, and Ryan Nemeth jump-started this match. That's three in a row. And then Tony Schiavone gets in the ring and asks Wardlow, why are you back? What have you come here for? What is your purpose in life? And Wardlow, in a stagey way, raises his hand so you can see, but even if you couldn't see, Tony says it, that MJF is written on his wrist tape, and then Wardlow walks forward and bumps Tony Schiavone with his shoulder, and Tony 
took a delayed action ox baker bump into the ropes and down to his butt and then just froze there stunned and unable to comprehend what had happened to him <sighs> what the fuck is this now so how many people is mjf feuding with well remember we a couple weeks ago we were saying who the fuck do we want to see MJF defend against? And now apparently Tony's answer is going to be, well, I'll just make it everybody so you can pick. Samoa Joe, Wardlow, Bullet Club Gold, mainly two people, Juice Robinson, Jay White, so there's four people. Roddy Strong, maybe? I think? Well, we don't know how that thing's going to be. Omega? Was... <laughs> yeah, Omega, oh, they're teasing that here in a second. But who was in the devil mask that beat up Jay White a few weeks ago? Oh, yeah, I forgot about that. I don't know. Anyway, so Renee Moxley Good was in the back with Twinkle Toes. And he's talking about his match later on tonight with good old Kyle Felcher. And the thing about thing about old Harpo there, old Kenny, is whether the match is important or not, he's gonna have the same tone the phone sex voice that he blathers on in, and he's going to talk about how my win-loss record hasn't been very good lately, and I hope to do well, or whatever the fuck he's saying. But after he gets even with the Don Fallis family, he's going to go after the world heavyweight title, which naturally brings MJF in because he's obviously been standing 15 feet away waiting for his name to be mentioned. Because how else could he get there that quick? And he puts Twinkle Toes over and shakes his hand and then leans in and whispers, 13 days, bitch, in Kenny's ear and, and then says, good luck, and walks off. And Kenny's like, well, we'll see about that 13 days. Now, I wouldn't have known again what the flying fuck they were talking about Except that, again, somebody on Twitter said, well, in 13 days, MJF will have been champion longer than Kenny was. So I guess that's the bone of contention there. So it'll be interesting if they do do that match, I said do-do, to hear... I mean, some people are, are still going to cheer for fucking Harpo because some people as we've established, like that kind of thing. But the people who like MJF are obviously not only bigger wrestling fans, but more intelligent. And I can't wait to hear in what various ways they roast old Twink out of the fucking building in that match. Hey, let me ask you about that match, MJF versus Omega. Is that a match that you would rather use to pop a number potentially on TV, or do you think it should be a pay-per-view main event? Well, that's hard. If the pay-per-views are going to probably do within the same range of 30,000 buys one way or another. Well, it's that's the thing is normally you would think, I'm not putting that on a, a pay-per-view main event, except their pay-per-view audience specifically likes that kind of thing. So I might consider putting it on pay-per-view in AEW just because if anybody anywhere is going to buy anything that Kenny does, it's going to be the AEW fans. But having said that, the, the only thing I think they got to watch out for is they can't risk 
MJF looking like an idiot stooging for all of that fucking video game bullshit. Whether it's going to be the flipping dive over the top, is MJF going to have to catch this goof all by himself and risk injury? Or are they going to do some other bullshit where people get dropped on their heads? The antithesis of an MJF match is a Kenny Olivier match. So they better go with the champion calling this fucking thing or it's not only going to be the shits and make no sense, but there's an element of risk of injury to their golden goose from having this fucking human artichoke land on him. No, if Kenny doesn't insist on just doing everything his way, it could actually probably be the best Kenny Omega singles match we've seen in a very long time. Possibly ever. Of course, that's a low bar again, but nevertheless. But again, to my earlier question, whether it's Omega or someone else, what about the idea that the world champion's in this position where, do you think it's good or bad, where there's multiple people either currently having issues with him or wanting a title shot, so that's no, the it, issue? It's great that there is multiple people having an issue with the world champion. That's what Dusty did. That's what Eddie Graham did. That's what Bill Watts did. But you don't go... From none to 12 in three weeks. It, it, there should have been a staggering, uh, ascending level of all of these interactions that everybody wants the fucking guy that's the champion. And MJF can actually, he could be a little bit harder heel-edged than he is being right now just because he's in a position where everybody from both sides of the fence is out to get him. So he would have to take care of himself a little bit more than trust other people, but he's going the whole, I'm just, I'm your scumbag type of route. Anyway, 13 days, bitch. Well, we will see what happens in 13 days, but to your point about Omega's talking and his voice and the way he does his promos, perhaps there would be a way to listen to something different while he's talking. So you don't actually hear his voice. You hear something a little rougher, a little gruffer, a little tougher. Like a Damien Priest kind of voice coming out of Omega's mouth. I don't know how you would sync all this up, but if there was a way, you could listen to how it on about, your Raycon earbuds. How about if we could have Kenny Olivier lip sync the words and like in The Exorcist, have Mercedes McCambridge do the voice? What do you think about that? Or maybe that with your Raycon earbuds. You know, the thing of it is, Brian, you can take these Raycon everyday wireless earbuds and stick them in your ears, and it will sound better than Kenny Olivier, even if you don't turn them on. Because they're good earplugs. If there's just somebody droning on and on, and you don't want to listen to them, shut up, I know there's a line there, just stick the Raycon earbuds in your ears. You don't even have to turn them on. You'll get perfect silence, because they're not only quality earplugs, but also they can deliver fine quality, high quality audio because they've got great battery life and thoughtful features, a perfect in-ear fit. None of that nattering of Kenny's whiny, nasally voice can, can permeate around the, the vacuum seal that these earbuds make so that all you hear is the music, the symphonic sounds of Beethoven and Tchaikovsky and chop your cock off, and all the Russian composers. You will be as aware of your surroundings as you choose to be. Well, that's because they got the awareness mode. On, uh, you just hit the button, and boom, and you're aware of things like that. It raises your consciousness. And also, like I said, the vacuum seal in-ear fit 
you know, you might ought to go ahead and wear these to bed because then the earwigs couldn't crawl into your ears while you're asleep and defenseless. I wouldn't even, if I'd have known about the everyday earbuds when I did, I wouldn't even have had my custom ear snoods made to keep bugs from crawling into my head at late at night. I could have used the Raycons. But you can listen to your rock and roll. You can listen to your country and western. Is that right, Grandpa? That's right. You, you listen can to your listen rock and to your, roll to your podcasts and your stories. You can listen to the guiding light as the world turns, as the stomach turns, as 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 your stomach churns. You can listen to anything you want to. You can be aware or you can be oblivious. It's all at the touch of a button. You can go high. You can go low. You hit the right button. These things will levitate you right over the goddamn roof. I'll tell you what. And did you know, Brian, that Raycon is having a big anniversary? They're turning six years old. And that that's almost as old as Beaver Cleaver was when he began starring in his own television program. Well, how old was he season one? He was about seven years old. Almost as old, okay. Almost, see? But right now, I'm telling you, you don't have to wait for another year because Raycon, they're not minors anymore. They've reached the age of maturity, and they've expanded their entire business with the introduction of Raycon Home and Raycon PowerTech. See, Raycon builds these homes, and then the PowerTech comes in and, and puts power technology in them. I don't think that's how any of that works, but they're wonderful earbuds. And, and, and they're a wonderful company that makes these earbuds. And to thank everyone who has shown them support in the past six years. Because after all, what would they be without their supporters? They'd be droopy, dangly, and drippy. Raycon is offering 20% off everything on their site with select products up to 40% off. Now, we have done this math in the past. And we have analyzed this. And we have figured out that if you take 20% off everything on the site, but then you take 40% off of some of the select products. We have not well, figured then, this out, no. Well, no, I did. Then if you average all that out and you get one from column A and one from column B and a couple of other items, your average is going to be 36.7% off on everything. So right now, celebrate the biggest sale of the year, the sixth anniversary of Raycon. Go happy right birthday. Now. Happy, well, happy anniversary. They weren't really born as much as they were formed. They were, they were inaugurated. They were incorporated. They weren't just they weren't just hatched. There was no sperm involved, Brian. So if you were gonna post, if you were just a major fan of Raycon and you were gonna post something on social media, you would say Happy Anniversary, Raycon. Happy Anniversary. Not Happy Birthday, Raycon. Well, no, because it says right here on the copy they sent us, Raycon is celebrating their anniversary. Doesn't say a goddamn thing about birthday. I take back the Happy Birthday. Raycon's anniversary, right here. It's on the on the copy. Well, happy anniversary, Ray. Well, and you you don't just gotta call him Ray. But right now you can call him on the on the website buyraycon.com. That's B-U-Y-R-A-Y-C-O-N buyraycon.com slash J C E and use the code birthday. The code is birthday. The code is birthday. For the record, I don't know what that dramatic pause was there. That I realized that you had some semblance of a point. But if you comb your hair right, nobody will notice it. So anyway, for their anniversary, go to buyraycon.com slash JCE and use the code birthday. And don't ask me why the code isn't anniversary. 
Probably because Brian Last is involved. Wait until their big Christmas sale with the promo code Independence Day. (laughs) Yeah, or Thanksgiving. (laughs) Festivus. Ladies and gentlemen, anyway, buyraycon.com slash JCE. Use the code birthday. You're going to get 20% off to 40% off, depending on whatever it is. Code birthday for the anniversary at buyraycon.com slash JCE. That's right, slash JCE, fine earbuds, but we're slashing through dynamite with this review and there's still the big segments to come. Well, Adam Cole is still at Roderick Strong's and they treated us to Mike Bennett playing the bongos like a madman. Uh, Cole was getting Roddy coffee. Cole's getting frustrated. He really needs to go get this surgery. Roddy asked for peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. Hey, Adam, you know, when we were in Ring of Honor, the one thing you used to do that everybody loved was make everybody peanut butter and jelly. So now they're retroactively going back 10 years to make people look like uncool dicks. (laughs) It's not just that they're uncool dicks now. They've always been uncool dicks. And they're, even though they were grown adults then, the way that they had fun was to make each other peanut butter and jelly sandwiches. So they did a slow-mo peanut butter and jelly sandwich making montage with really bad music. And then Roddy got pissed because Adam Cole didn't trim his crust off. And Adam got pissed and said he was going to get his surgery. It's too long overdue and he's got to go. And he left in a huff. I think whoever's writing this shit is huffing something. And then Roddy told the other two buffoons, well, I guess I'm going to have to be nice to the scumbag to get my friend Adam back. And of course, he's revealing these these plans on the air on national television. This I hate all these it, people now. It keeps getting worse. Yeah, I hate can't all like anybody involved. No, I don't want to see any of them on the show anymore. Uh, so, I hate anyone who likes these segments too. Yes, I, no, I hate anybody, anyone involved with these segments. I hate anyone who has the same name as anyone involved in any of these segments. I hate all Adams, all, all Mikes, all Mats. There's not a lot of Roddies, but we still don't like them. All right, well, Tony Schiavone was in the ring, and he, now he is so disgusted by Don Fallis and his family that he spits in the ring before he says Don's name. Can we please stop with again? Yes, you always have a babyface leaning announcer and a heel announcer in in modern wrestling. And usually the babyface announcer is the straight one. He's the one that acknowledges people who cheat and admires people who don't, and otherwise he plays it straight, and then you have a heel announcer that obviously favors the heels because he's one of them. But you do not have a babyface announcer who constantly, when MJF was a heel, that no-good prick, or spitting before you speak the guy's name, he's got to, in some way, you can be inflamed by a guy's action in the moment, as an announcer, but what the fuck, right? It's just, are they trying to give Tony personality or what is the, 
That's the only thing he's ever been good at is standing there and holding the mic and not having personality. That was his best job quality in wrestling. It wasn't as a commentator, certainly not since 1990. It was just standing there and doing that professionally. But now he's like a character. He's like Grandpa Tony. And I know he did baseball. He's been a legitimate sports announcer. In minor league baseball. Well, it's still baseball. It's it's not a work, is it? Or you'd know better than me. It's not a work. No, no, no. It's all right, the, then he did the legitimate sports. So we ought to be able to know how to, all right. Well, you're not, but that doesn't mean he's good at it. That's what I'm doing. Well, something ought to, and being ought to, good at it know, are two different things. He ought to know that the announcer shouldn't be the one taking the sides to the extent of spitting at the mention of the heel's name. All right. Nevertheless, the Fallis family in the ring, Don and Hobbs and our friend take a shit. So Don was crowing about Hobbs beating Jericho last week in such a convincing fashion, and then Hobbs gets the chance to talk. I'm thinking, okay, now he's in the top heel group, and they're going to let him do promos. And he gives us the backstory of why that he handed Chris Jericho his, his own ass last week, just beat the shit out of him. And that story is... <sighs> By the way, Hobbs is a legitimate son. Remember when they first started the company, he told the story he was a witness to his brother being shot, I think killed, definitely shot. He's grown up in the hood, disadvantaged upbringing. You could make the case. Here's another goddamn badass like a Butch Reed or, you know, whatever the case. <laughs> How much... Hatred and animosity as he got built up against society over the various, you know, incidents that have happened in his life. And this is why he's mad at Chris Jericho. On February 2nd, 1998, he had a chance to meet his hero, Chris Jericho. Now, for one thing, goddammit, if a black kid's growing up in the fucking hood in 1998, would his hero have been Chris Jericho or Snoop fucking Dog? Well, if he's a wrestling fan, it'd be Chris and Jericho. And secondly, maybe. was Chris Jericho anybody's hero in 1998? That was before he started with the WWF when they were just using him as a flunky down in WCW. Well, nevertheless, the, the point is, here is his story. This is why he beat up Chris Jericho last week. February 2, 1998, Hobbs had the chance to meet his hero, Chris Jericho, and his grandmother, who raised him, got him front row tickets. And Jericho, when he came out to the ring, told his grandmother to shut up and told Hobbs to sit down. And he was seven. And he swore the day that he got to look Chris Jericho in the eye, he was going to hurt him. He was seven and Jericho was a heel. Yes, and it wasn't a meet and greet. He got the chance to meet his hero by sitting in the front row. And of course, Jericho told Granny to shut up and Hobbs to sit down. But the point is, we're overlooking another thing. They've been in the same company for four fucking years. They've been in the same locker room for four fucking years. Why didn't he hurt him four fucking years ago? Does that make any sense? That's no. the story they came up with that 
The reason why Hobbs wanted to hurt Jericho, not to make a name for himself by destroying a legend, not to fucking show that he's capable of dominating anybody, no matter their their pedigree or their experience or their reputation, not any manufactured legitimate slight that you would believe, but <laughs> he cussed at my granny when I was seven, and I swore I'd get even. They're making Hobbs. Look at the fucking beast. He's a goddamn giant. They're making him like a dickless little pussy fucking grade school child. It is funny if you think about it, though. It's like a sitcom. Like this little kid like, hey, Granny, can you take me to the wrestling? Oh, sure. I got your ringside tickets. We're going to meet your favorite wrestler. And then the wrestler comes out. They start trying to have a conversation with him sitting at ringside. Of course, the heel said, leave me alone or whatever. Why couldn't Hobbs have said, you know what? In 1998, I was seven years old, but I loved wrestling, and I wanted to meet Chris Jericho. And I couldn't afford a ticket because my family couldn't afford food. We couldn't afford rent. We were on food stamps. So I fucking, I didn't even have a bicycle. I fucking mooched my way onto a bus, and then I walked through the worst neighborhood until I got to whatever arena they were at. And I hung out. All night, I could hear the crowd cheering all of the things that were going on, and I wished I could be in there, but I didn't have the money. And so I waited until finally the, the show was over, and the wrestlers started coming out. And I saw Chris Jericho, and I went up to him, and I said, please, Mr. Jericho, can I have your autograph? And Chris Jericho said, get away from me, you poor little bum. Or something? No one, uh, has, no one has the motivation of money, women, success, just arrogant. Like, no one has any motivation beyond, there was something that emotionally scarred me years ago, and I want to talk about it. This is now the second origin story we've gotten for Powerhouse Hobbs. Wait, at least two, but I like the first one better, yeah. I, I watched my brother get shot. Instead of I watched my granny get cussed out by a heel wrestler. One of these things is not like the other. Other than that, though, I will say, if you get past what he was saying, good intensity. And I'm not a Callus fan, but Takeshita and Hobbs standing there. Yeah. They look like badasses. Takeshita's great not saying anything. Just standing there and smirking or whatever you want to say it is. He's been great. And then Phallus did a halfway decent promo, putting Hobbs over a bit more than Hobbs put himself over. And then he mentioned old Kyle Felcher. He, he gave him a chance, but he screwed the family over by losing his match. And of course, that immediately brings out Kyle Felcher. Because now that the other half of that odd, visually disturbing tag team is injured, Felcher is a single. And... Apparently, Don basically says, well, if you can beat Kenny tonight, then we'll talk next week. So there we set up Kyle Felcher and Twinkle Toes McFingerbang. And Kenny comes down to the ring and Felcher jump starts it. That makes four in a row. And what do you think of the promo going right into the match? I mean, not, I, well, not that they're the only ones who do it, but what do you think of them doing it here? It gets it over with quicker. There's something to be said for that. 
But I mean, no, but who wants to see this? I And I knew even if it didn't last forever, it would seem like it. And so I skipped to the finish because I, you know, again, you can tell me, but I assume it looked like a video game where somebody had all the buttons pushed and just stuck them down and they just did everything until they were done doing everything. But the finish again, this, who are they trying to push and who are they trying to feature and you can't do both? And somebody's going, well, Kenny's always telling a story of his injuries and he's banged up and he's unimpressive as shit. And now he's taking middle card guys and having 15, 20 minute long matches with them with umpteen false finishes. So he can't even beat the middle of the card guys. So why are he sounds like a, a twat? He looks like a confused member of the Marx Brothers, and he wrestles like a video game character. And he can't beat middle card guys without doing 745 finishes. Well, that's not exclusive to him. That's everyone in every match on these shows. But he magnifies all of those things. He looks more bizarre. He sounds more wimpish. He does more of the video game mannerisms. He excels in all those categories of shittiness. Yeah, at least he's gassed up a little bit and he looks the part, you know? Like, at least the other guys are just really skinny and need to go but, to the gym or something. But he, uh, Kenny could be six feet seven and 350 pounds and cut like Luger, and because of his demeanor, he wouldn't be intimidating. You know, Fletcher was interesting when he got in the ring with the other heels for the promo. Although skinny and he looks really young, really young. He's taller than Hobbs. He was taller than everyone in the ring. Yeah. He was taller than everyone. And Callis and Takesh are what, like 6'2", 6'3"? And that was a, another point that why the fuck put the guy taller than Hobbs in there face-to-face with fucking Hobbs? And, but at the same time, this guy looks like a juvenile delinquent. But anyway, the finish was Twinkle Toes hit him with three finishes in a row. And then got a two count. And then another knee lift and went for the one-winged fairy. And Felcher came out of it and got a choke on Kenny. And Kenny rolled out of that. And they went back and forth with some Western swing dancing. And then Felcher hit a super kick. And then launched into a crisscross. I don't know why. And Kenny hit a knee lift and the one-winged fairy. One, two, three. It just, it, it was, I don't know. But there you go. Any further thoughts on that? No, not really. Not really. Let's have a further thought on this. They come back from a break, and the first thing you see is Lance Archer, who we haven't seen in forever, coming through the entranceway, and they're still doing the thing where if he has a match against a job guy, he comes through the entrance beating up the job guy. Well, it's not just the job guy. Remember, he used to come out like he pushed a cameraman or whoever, like a hand backstage, just anyone he would get a hold of, he would throw them right through the entranceway. Well, and it, and it ain't got any better. And in this case, they're incorporating some of their comedy into it because as he's beating the jobber down the ramp, Smiley Roberts is in the ring doing the ring introductions. And he's, he, he actually says, now kicking his opponent to the ring, Lance Archer. 
Does Lance Archer realize how phony and stupid and minor league and indie and outlaw this looks? Does he realize that it makes people laugh at him rather than be impressed by his physicality or whatever the fuck he's doing? It's all a joke. So the jobber rolls in. So this was a jump start, by the way, number five in a row. But the jobber rolls in and hits the ropes in the ring and does a dive back out onto Lance Archer. And Archer is supposed to catch him by the goozle pipe and choke slam him. But he missed him. He just kind of pawed his face and the guy fell in, at his feet. So the jobber rolled in and did it again. And this time he caught him and choke slammed him. And then Aubrey Edwards rang the bell. I know you're saying, nay, it can't be true. But again, the same thing on the program as they did previously. A jump start, a fight. And when the guy is fucking down and hurt, then the referee rings the bell to start the match. And of course, Archer beats the guy. But what? how would that be allowed to happen ever anywhere? You can, yes, you've seen angles where guys, top guys, are so anxious to get at each other that they spill into the arena fighting, but they don't have a, then ring the bell and start the fucking match. It's a goddamn angle. It's fucking schmoz. It's chaos. And there's no reason to beat up the job guy. And if he does beat the job guy beforehand, then why would the referee start the fucking match? It's like AEW a few years ago. We get a Will Hobbs origin story, Lance Archer destroying a jobber on the way to the ring for a match, and then Wardwell doing the same thing in his match, just destroying someone. We've seen all this before. I will. I'm glad they've got new ideas. So, Swerve has done a music video. Actually, it's a rap video, so it's not music. But Nana... That's ridiculous. Finally, it was, I know, I agree. Rap is ridiculous. Rap is music, and you know it. Oh, come on. Prince Nana finally got a chance to do a promo. And he was excited, but Swerve isn't happy because a hangnail page, now it's personal. Apparently, we're going to have to watch that again. And, but Swerve did a good promo, and, and like I said, Nana finally got a chance to talk. But on the, we were an hour and 20 minutes into this program by now. And holy shit. Apparently all this is that Will Washington. You know that, remember we heard a big deal about them hiring him, Will Washington. Will, you mean Will Wheaton? In. Well, they were bringing this guy in who had a podcast that Tony Khan liked. He liked his yeah. opinions and he brought him in. I asked someone, I said, what has he done? He goes, well, the only thing really is the swerve stuff, but that's his cousin. But if you like the swerve stuff, that's him. Wait a minute, they, wait a minute, they hired a guy for the booking team and it's swerve's cousin? Yeah, he swerved, apparently, that's what I was told, he's swerve's cousin. That has a podcast. But if you like the Swerve stuff, he's partially responsible for that stuff. Okay. Well, let's talk about who's partially responsible for the next segment, which was the one that made the news, of, if anything, on this program did. And that was the interview and the segment with Sting. And should we, should we give a spoiler alert at the top? The the gist of this, and we'll talk about it, was 
that Sting has announced when his retirement will be. He's going to retire at Revolution 2024. That's going to be his last match. What month of the year is that in? What when do they do Revolution? You know they never said say? That. Yeah, they never said that on the pay-per-view. I'm looking. Uh This year it was in March. It was March 5th. Shit. So he may only have 6 months or thereabouts, not even. Tony Schiavone was in the ring this time. He gave him a big introduction, not like Don, but uh, gave him a big introduction, how much it means to Tony to introduce this man from all the years, history they've had together. This is Sting! And Sting comes out, and after he's, after Tony has given him this big introduction and how much Sting means to him, Sting takes the microphone and and Tony fucks off and doesn't even stand there and wait to do any part of this. But now I know why we never let him talk too long. I actually knew that beforehand, but it was driven home here. The people love him. He's an icon. This was brutal. It was a newsmaking the thing to say the least, Sting has been a wrestler since 1985. That would be be 39 years at in 2024. One of the biggest stars in the history of the modern business. He's going to retire. I felt I had to watch this out of respect, but gee, many Christmas, the wandering around and the Sting has never had a great promo voice to be you know to lay down the law or to swear revenge or whatever he would when he was young and he had the body and the hair and the howl oh, and it's showtime and the energy that carried it but having to having to give a long or detailed explanation having to have something flow kind of naturally and or logically Going a long period of time in his own particular monologue, these are not and have never been Sting's strengths. And I get they put him out there to kind of say what he had to say and what came to him. And it seemed like a lot of it was coming to him off top of his head. But that was the the, the bottom line. Uh, Revolution 2024 will be his last match. He mentioned the word retirement that he wasn't going to mention about 500 times. And his go-home line was potentially as flat a go-home line as I've ever heard. Because he had made a point in his promo of saying what he said in his Hall of Fame and his previous retirement or whatever. The one thing for sure about Sting is nothing's for sure. And his go-home line here was the one thing for sure about Sting's retirement is it's for sure. It was a 10-minute segment, and it felt like 30 minutes. And uh, please tell me if I'm overstating this case. I mean, yes and no. He's not a skilled talker. And, he, and when I say that, I mean he doesn't put together a coherent story. Whatever he's saying, there's no beginning, middle, and end. There's no... I'm going this way. It's just free form. I'm going to throw out names and 
I mean, it was another retirement speech. Which and, was... it, and it it worked for staying in any, yes, he blessed, you know, Ric Flair and Hulk Hogan and all the people that helped him, but it was, staying as a young guy was wild and crazy and chaotic and he could get away with being all over the place. But now it's like he's kind of just rambling, right? Well, what I was going to say is I thought he was rambling. And this isn't the first time we've seen something like this from him. This is this is Sting. He's never he's not going to turn into a great promo now. But with that said, the fans didn't chant boring. They hung on his every word because you could tell it was going somewhere. Yeah, it was just taking he he had a process to go through to get there. And it was a forgiving audience because he is a legend. And I think a lot of people figured out this may be the beginning of his goodbye. Well, it had been leaked rumors and innuendos and, uh, you know, whispers on the Internet before. And the, and the way that he started it, they kind of figured something was going to go on. But, uh, yes, they love him and he got by with it. If it had been somebody saying the same thing that wasn't over, my God, they would have got the giant hook from a vaudeville show and jerked him out of the ring by that point. I mean, that's the only other thing, I guess. <sighs> I mean, knowing how Tony Khan does things, I could see him just saying, say whatever you want out there. But if you're Sting, there's a retirement speech and then is announcing either a retirement tour or retirement, you know, it's like a celebration for the next several months. I'm not sure what it is, but he gave the retirement speech. Well, this wasn't necessarily... Again, people liked it, but for me, yeah. I'm with you. I just thought it was just me. Well, and that's, a, you know, I can believe that Tony would tell some of these guys, depending on who they, well, I mean, he tells almost everybody that, but especially the legends that he respects, that he grew up watching as a fan. Oh, just go out and do it however you want to do it. That's exactly what you don't say to some legends in order to respect them to the level that they deserve, because you have to be able to differentiate between guys that can go out and and say anything off the top of their head and make it gold, Mick Foley, and guys like Sting, who you should show them the respect that their name and iconic status should provide them by giving them guidelines, parameters, bullet points, things to say, not giving them too long, not letting them go out there and twist or whatever. Prepare a little something to help them get through it. And you got to know which ones are which. And Tony doesn't. He assumes everybody he looks up to and was a fan of is the greatest talent in the history of wrestling. And that's why we get some of these segments. What should it be? You have months to build it up. It is a pay-per-view event. Should it be Sting in a main event match? Should it be Sting in the mid-card in a tag match? Should it be a ceremony with his famous rivals in attendance? What do you think it should be? Maybe a little bit of all of that. If you've got five or six months, say, ladies and gentlemen, and this is where if they had somebody to speak for the promotion instead of Tony, because I don't advocate Tony doing anything on microphone or camera anymore, but say, ladies and gentlemen, it's going to be a celebration of the career of Sting. Sting has written down the names of three individuals that he would like to face before he closes his career out. And we're going to present those matches in various of our programs, whether live or pay-per-view, over the next six months, culminating at Revolution. 
and maybe he does the first two and then something happens in the second one that leads to a an angle, personal issue, him and Darby one more time against so-and-so and such-and-such such, or whatever the fuck, the big match that has heat behind it for revolution. And, you know, that and, and you say that Sting will be going on the tour to promote this so we can be on television and you can advertise him one last time, Seattle, see Sting, or one last time, Poughkeepsie, or wherever the fuck they're at. You're going to see him. He might not wrestle, but you're going to see him. He's going to be involved. It's part of his tour. And, and do a whole promotion around it. Make sure his last match is the hot one and the meaningful one. And, you know, again, he, he wins the first one. The second one gets thrown out some reason because of whatever you're doing. And then the last one, he and his partner win together. And it gives the rub to Darby, if that's who it's, or whoever the fuck it may be. But he's got to win, you think? You got to win the last one, but, it, but at the same time, I didn't say the last one was a singles match. If you advertise him in three, the first two are singles, he wins the first one, the second one is an angle with no finish, and the third one is the tag team match at Revolution where he and his young cohort prevail, and, ever, and then they drop the fucking streamers or the balloons or the ice or snow or whatever the fuck. And that's a nice little, and that's just off top of my head. We could polish this if we had an hour or two. But something to promote the next six months. And every time you see him, whether he's wrestling or just appearing on television or speaking or autographs or whatever, it's part of that retirement tour. It's special. The last time in each of these individual locations. And then make sure you buy the pay-per-view. It's Sting's last match. It's not that hard to fucking sit down and figure out the basics. And then how do you plug it in? All right, well, let's uh, plug out and plug in. Should and... we should we plug in T Tony Storm's new film was in picture in picture again? But then you talked about some really bad acting. And we got to that point. They had advertised a sit-down interview with Jim Ross and Nick Wayne and Nick Wayne's mother. And... They must have been suitably ashamed of it because when they came back from a commercial break, the announcers didn't pitch to it. They just went to it cold. And there's JR there, and he he's there with Nick Wayne and Nick Wayne's mom, who was called Nick Wayne's mom. She does not apparently have a name. It was never revealed. And Jim Ross, I think, realizing what he was in the middle of there almost never spoke. There was no interview. He was just sitting there with grump face on as he should have been while a teenage dullard and his Meryl Streep wannabe mother shit the bed with some of the most ridiculous fucking dramatic overacting. I mean, <laughs> Nick Wayne's mother looked like she was the star of one of those TV commercials where a concerned family member asked Grandma if she's prepared for her final expenses. Oh, well, yes, I made the phone call to Nationwide. 
But I mean, she was into it like she was Betty Davis, but she performed it like she was Betty Crocker. And the only thing she got out of Nick Wayne was that he did it because it was always about Darby. Everybody liked him more. And they, and I was jealous. It, it, it's like the Smothers Brothers. Mom always liked you better. So then JR is sitting there looking completely unamused. Every time Nick Wayne mentions Christian Cage's name, the biggest heel in the company, they're playing it in the, in the arena, and the name, the mention of Christian's name, the people cheer. And then the mother cries, and Christian walks in. They cheer again, and Nick is going to leave with Christian. So mom slaps her son in an arty camera angle, where apparently, as they got up to leave, there happened to be a cameraman sitting cross legged on the floor waiting for the Dutch tilt shoot up of the slap. And then as Nick Wayne and Christian leave, they go out the door, the door closed. Mom runs after him. Oh no, Nick, don't go. Shane, don't go. Then there's the sound of a fight behind the door. And Nick's mom is go, Oh my God. And the door flies open and there's Darby Allen beating everybody up. And they go back to the announcers, and the announcers stall until Darby and Nick get out the entrance way because obviously they were standing by waiting because this earlier thing was a pre-tape. I can't believe they had a chance to do this again and they chose to air it. And then they fight out the entrance way, and then here comes Christian and Dino to grab Darby, and Sting comes out to help, and they did some awkward walk fighting. And apparently, Nick Wayne really got one of his teeth knocked out. Somebody dropped him face first on the concrete. And Sting got the scorpion on Christian. And just to add insult to injury of the whole thing, as Sting's got the scorpion deathlock about on Christian, Dino Douche, the fucking giant monster that he is, doesn't get in the ring and try to help he reaches in and grabs Christian hand and pulls him out to safety. And then they slink off together. And that was that segment. The brawl is an afterthought. It's really about the acting. It was so horrific. Only made good because of Jim Ross sitting in the middle, clearly not wanting to be involved in any of this. Not wanting to be there. Not wanting to be in that zip code. The acting and then the editing of it, the slap, which looked bad, her reaction to the slap, and then him instantly saying, you're dead to me. And walking off with Christian, who's in segments like this to me, he's over the top. It's one thing if you want to see him do a promo in the ring or at that media scrum, but I don't think when, anyone came when, out when of the, this looking good. This was no, a bad segment. When the atmosphere is so phony to begin with, and then he comes in and does his thing, it's, it's too much. She has no name. We barely care about Nick Wayne because he's barely been around. Where, what and, and look at look at that face. Doesn't he look like one of the goddamn Darling Brothers on the Andy Griffith show? I mean, just fucking slack jawed and moop faced. What happened to A.R. Fox? What did happen to him? He turned heel, was a part of the attack on Nick Wayne at his home, and then he turned back babyface, apologized, and then we never and, saw him again. And left. He apologized and left, like you, like you should. 
when you've done something you know, wrong. A man of class, now that I think about it. A.R. Fox. <sighs> no, but this was a all-time bad segment in terms of wrestling acting. And you kind of expected it would be, and they lived up to expectations. I guess that's the one positive I can say. All righty. Well, we've come to our main event of the evening. The Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal, where the winner gets a shot next week at MJF, not for the title, but for the Dynamite Diamond Ring. And they basically put a mixture of the people that you knew, the the two people that might possibly win would be Max Caster and Juice Robinson, because that's been spoken about, and it would fit the angle. And then they just put a random selection of jobbers and hardy boys in the rest of the battle royal to fill it out. So you had Matt and Jeff Hardy in there with job guys. And Jake Hager. Has Jake Hager ever done anything good in any wrestling company anywhere ever? Well, he had fans when he was doing like that weird uh, white supremacist gimmick with Dutch back in the old days on WWE. How could he how could he possibly be any good six, seven, eight years ago and be the shits now? Is he regressing? Or was it just that it wasn't any good before, but it was the WWE, so they got by with it? Because he's the fucking shits, by the way. Have you noticed? I've never been a fan of his. Jericho's anyway, the fan of his. That's why he's there. Well, and he, and he wrestles like one match every four months and gets paid by this fucking sucker. Poor, I almost feel bad for Tony that he is running the biggest Make-A-Wish program since the history of Make-A-Wish. All bad wrestlers. I wish I could make a lot of money for doing nothing. Tony, right there. All right, so, so obviously this is a battle royal and it's in the main event spot and I'm not going to watch it because it's a battle royal and I doubt anybody else wanted to watch it either. So I was going to skip to the finish to see whether they put juice over and what I hoped would happen or if Caster was going to come out. But I didn't skip to the finish because they rang the bell for the Battle Royal with 10 minutes on the air, and 10 minutes was enough time for this, honestly. But at 10 o'clock Eastern, they still had Daddy Mac, Danny Garcia, Juice, Dustin, and Caster in the Battle Royal, and Dustin dumped Daddy and Garcia dumped Dustin, and my DVR froze. So I have heard since then that Juice Robinson won the thing, but after this television program, I not only deleted the episode, I unplugged the DVR just to make sure that it wouldn't come back like fungus on a shower curtain. Um, well, MJF was on commentary. Yeah. And he ended up going at it with Jay White. Knocked him down, got his belt back, and then Jay White hit him in the nuts, took the belt back, <laughs> and then Juice Robinson pulled out a ring, used it to win the Battle Royal. While Did he, he put it on his finger? Put it on his finger, then MJF took out his ring, and they kind of showed each other their rings, and now we're ready to put a ring on it for the big match next week. But Caster is still, he's, he's unspoken for. Nobody has proposed, nobody has offered their hand to him in wedded bliss or whatever the fuck he's going for. I don't know what he's going for. 
But that was AEW. That was indeed AEW Dynamite and the Diamond Battle Royal. Diamond Ring Battle Royal or Diamond Battle Royal? Was it just Diamond? The, well, the, it was the Dynamite Dozen oh. Battle Royal to determine the challenger for the Dynamite Diamond Ring. The Dynamite Dozen Battle Royal gives you 12 minutes to turn off the TV and leave the room. <laughs> Ma'am? That was everybody's reaction. So did anybody watch this thing? We know they did a good number, but it had to tank at the end, certainly. Well, hold on one second. I'm pulling up the number. This is compiled by WrestleNomics. The overall number on average AEW Dynamite on October 18th was watched by 902,000 viewers. That is, to me, honestly incredible that they have put on these nonsensical programs for the last few weeks and still managed to muster was it what was the tease was enough of the word out there about what sting was going to do that they wanted to see that was there something else that we missed that was important here or they were just unopposed again and a lot of people skipped it last week and felt bad Not like exactly they had sure. cheated on their their spouse well i guess the bigger question is what was the lead-in that and did anything happen there that would cause this number to be up? Because Jim, quarter 1, 8 to 8, 15 p.m., Penta El Zero Miedo versus Jay White with picture in picture, 1 million, whoa, 1,000 viewers. Wait a minute, 1 million, 1,000. 1, I can't hardly write that. 1, comma, zero, okay. zero, 001. All righty. So they hit their magic million mark. Um, they had they had a million magic marks, is what they had. Where did we go from here? Well, that's why I now said. Now that all the children have grown up, and how do we spend our time? No one, nobody gives us a damn. And that is the highest I remember the opening number being in quite a while. Oh yeah. Quarter two, eight fifteen, eight thirty p.m. The continuation of Penta versus Jay White, Bullet Club Gold's live promo, MJF and the Acclaim backstage. An ad break in the beginning of Emi Sakura versus Hikaru, Hikaru versus Hikaru Shida. Nine hundred and thirty-one thousand viewers. Okay, we're we're starting to get back to more realistic numbers here, but uh, seventy thousand. But for that, my God, you would have thought they'd run off more. Go ahead. Quarter three, eight thirty to eight forty-five p.m. The continuation of Emi Sakura. Now you're questioning now, yourself. Now I'm, I can't say anyone's name. Emmy Sakura, or Sakura, whatever her name Freddie is. Freddie Mercury? Versus Hikaru Shida with picture-in-picture. Picture. Adam Copeland's backstage confession with Renee Moxley Good. It's my backstage confession when I tell the world that I love you. And speaking of grassroots, Wardlow <laughs> versus Ryan Nemeth and the post-match promo. 924,000 viewers. Ouch! They lost people for Edge? They lost people for Emi Sakura versus Hikaru well, Shida. That's, yeah, that's true. And again, poor, Edge... Poor Edge was just caught in the crossfire. Hey, listen, Edge has so far, as far as YouTube numbers, he's caused a big spike in his videos for AEW. His segments have done okay, but until... You know, there's only so much slack they're going to give you before... You do something, and it can't well, just you be know, the acting segments you want to do. It has to be what's right. We'll, we'll see. 
That that makes sense though, because the YouTube segments that's just Edge and people can seek it out, and the WWE fans who liked Edge don't obviously want to or have to watch the rest of this outlaw program. They can just see the guy they like on the YouTube clips. That makes sense. Yeah, and the thumbnail will feature him, who's just been on their TV show, so he's easily recognizable even to younger fans. Quarter four, eight forty-five to nine p.m. Kenny Omega's backstage confrontation with MJF. An ad break. Adam Cole and Roderick Strong's continuing circus. The Don Callis Powerhouse Hobbs Kyle Fletcher live promo. 934,000 viewers. So they've gone 931, 924, and 934. So they're kind of plateaued there after the initial flurry at the beginning. What about the top of the 9 o'clock hour? Quarter 5, the big 9 o'clock hour. Kenny Omega versus Kyle Fletcher with picture-in-picture. And a Danhausen video. Oh, forgot about that. Apparently that's going to be some kind of ongoing segment. Love that Danhausen, so we'll have more silliness to make fun of. Imagine if they did that before he debuted. (laughs) Everyone gets like these packages after they have been there forever. (laughs) But 9 to 9.15 p.m., 929,000 viewers. Ah, so they, they lost 5,000 off the... But again, 931, 924, 934, 929. Are they waiting for Sting? Quarter 6, 9.15 to 9.30 p.m. An ad break. Lance Archer versus Barrett Brown. That was his name. Swerve Strickland and Prince Nana's backstage promo. And Sting's live promo, 892,000 viewers. Oh, God, apparently they weren't waiting for Sting because they bailed out before he got there. So, all right, I'm looking at the average, and they started with a million people, and they spent one, two, three, four quarters between 924 and 934. Now they've dropped to 892. There's a little bit more dropping to go to get to that average. What happened in the last two? In quarters 7, 9.30 to 9.45 p.m., Tony Storm and RJ City's silent film with picture, well, during picture-in-picture ads, Nick Wayne and Nick Wayne's mom, interviewed by Jim Ross, and then Christian Cage comes in in the brawl with Darby Allin and everything else that was happening. Orange Cassidy and Chris Statlander's backstage promo. I skipped that. And an ad break. 861,000 viewers. Okay, so apparently the... Was it the... uh, Which segment was the Maxwell Silver Hammer here that conked the viewers on the head? Was it indeed the Puddin' Gang with Statlander, or was it indeed some of this other foolishness? Well, finally, quarter eight, and we do have a overrun i'll give you that too with this quarter eight the only reason we got an overrun is because they can't get their shit in in the regular run 9 45 to 10 p.m the dynamite diamond ring battle royal with picture and picture ads Seven hundred and sixty-two thousand viewers wow and five minute overrun eight hundred and thirty-six thousand viewers Okay, and I think we've established that also the overrun was people tuning into whatever was scheduled next because how can 
a match who loses 100,000 viewers when the people see, oh, that's on? We ain't watching that. But suddenly it gets the last four minutes, they're going to pick up another 74,000? No, I think not. So they started the program with a million viewers and ended with 762,000. Mm. And that was AEW Dynamite and... Congratulations to them that the people that were watching this thing had the patience they did before they dove off the cliff at the last half hour because there was nothing there to reward their their interest or their patience. Well, Jim, perhaps Tony would look at the people in that first match, that first quarter, Penta versus Jay White, and say, you guys got over a million viewers. I would like to reward you each with a gold coin. Well, he would be a sap then, because what got him a million viewers was the lead-in. But I'll tell you what he ought to be doing right now. He ought to be trying to preserve some of the wealth that has been bestowed upon him by his his rich father, because it ain't going to last forever if daddy don't cut him off because of everything that's going on in his life, or when he has the nervous breakdown, Tony, and he gets committed to a rubber room at the puzzle factory, then his dad's going to cut him off. And then he's going to have blown a lot of money and preserved very little, if any of it. Hey, you know, it's, it's easy enough, Brian, to lose money in the wrestling business, but you can lose money in the stock market. You can lose. I know you will find this hard to believe Brian last, but you can actually lose money on collector's plates. You've heard the commercial. They even say it right out. Some plates go down in value. Well, you can't even eat fried chicken off of them anymore, for heaven's sake. But I'll tell you what you can do to preserve some wealth, to keep something back there in your in your little rainy day fund just in case you ever need it. When we talk about governments imploding, nuclear war, zombie apocalypses, most of the currency, let's face it, in the in the entire world is going to be no good because it's going to be dependent on the preservation of that particular government. Whoever issued that paper. We right? can't make any forward statements about currency, domestic and abroad in the future. Well, you never, when the, when the or, apes learn to speak, they're going to be printing brand new shit. Dr. Zayas? And, and it's going to have pictures of gorillas, chimpanzees, and orangutans on it. Cornelius? Cornelius and, and many folks like that. So, of course, it's going to be a completely different method of currency on paper. But you can always trust precious metals because what's the first thing that an ape with the power of speech and a long rifle is going to ask you when he's pointing that rifle at you with your hands up? He's going to say, hey, have you got any precious metals on you? Because that's what they want. So if you need to protect yourself from the apes with guns and the power of speech and have some precious metals to give them when they're holding you up, then you need to go and talk to the people at Nationwide Coins. That's what, I'm, I'm just telling you, these gorillas mean business. But Nationwide Coins sell government gold at cost. What government, you might say? The government that's going to be in charge when all this goes down. And. All new customers of Nationwide Coins will get their first ounce of gold without any dealer markup. And Brian, we've been talking about the gold and silver coins that they make, courtesy of their relationship with a former master of the mint, 
But they've also got pre-1933 American rare coins, modern American and foreign coins. They've got an array of precious metals products that you can buy to pass down in your family from generation to generation, unless somebody's firing blanks, in which case they skip a generation because they can't procreate, in which case there's going to be a battle amongst your descendants over who gets this gold and silver. So you need to start right now and make sure this is all in the right place. They've got precious metal consultants on staff that you can call on the telephone and speak to to help guide you to the right gold purchase for your unique situation. And Brian, you know why the American coins are pre-1933? Because that's back when they had real gold coins that you could trust. Real gold. Do you know that the nickels are not even made out of nickel anymore. And we haven't had silver dimes for 50 fucking years. It's a goddamn crime against nature. What are your thoughts on copper? I think, as a matter of fact, I've copped many. Nationwide Coins is one of the nation's leading precious metal firms, and if, if you want somebody to copper, then they'll copper for you. They've got over 100 years of combined experience in the precious metals industry. I understand they have 40 years in gold, 30 years in silver, 20 years in platinum, six years in zinc, and three years in uranium with one year undecided. So right now, Nationwide Coins has thousands of satisfied customers, and you can be one of them. And they offer free shipping and insurance on all orders. And I'll tell you what, free shipping for gold. Do you know how heavy gold Brian, gold Brian is? Do you know? Do you know how heavy gold is, Brian? That was my old gimmick. Gold Brian. How heavy gold Brian is? Gold Brian is very heavy, but it, it it's no wonder that Gert Frobe and Harold what? Sakata, Gert Frobe and Harold Sakata, both of them couldn't carry all the gold out of, out of Fort Knox because it's heavy. So they offer free shipping. You don't have to worry about that. And, and just because the gold coins come by overland stage, courtesy of the Wells Fargo Stage Company. If you want to work with the gold standard in the gold industry, folks, for buying gold or silver or other precious metals or coins or things of that nature and all things beyond, go right now to nationwidecoins.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE at checkout for your first one-ounce gold coin at no dealer markup nationwidecoins.com slash jce promo code jce hoard that bag of precious gold which is heavy so when that ape points that rifle at you you can hit him over the head with the gold coin bag because that'll make a dent let's not talk about violence let's talk about putting these coins in a place well, where the you apes look deserve at them. it when you was the last time you watched Planet of the Apes? I don't know why you're focusing on this. The, you know, those warlike apes brought it on themselves. Did you see the remake? They got more apes? They remade Planet of the Apes with Mark Wahlberg like 10 years ago or something? Oh, fuck that. Exactly. If Charlton Heston or James Franciscus ain't involved, then I'm not going to be a party to it. But you should be a party to nationwidecoins.com slash JCE and use the promo code JCE and every bag of gold comes with a free nuclear fallout shield. And nothing for such no, an occasion. Don't promise things that are not going to be coming with it. There'll be no nuclear fallout shield. What there will be is the finest 
gold and silver and everything else that Nationwide Coins has. Check them out today. What's the promo code, Jim? Well, it's JCE. That's what it is. I said that before. And you said it again. I said it before. I'll say it again. Nationwidecoins.com slash JCE. We are in the future once again. The great Brian last here, Jim Cornette there, I believe. Are you there? Did we leave you behind in the past? Now I'm awake. Wiley Cornette. I set my alarm to make sure that I didn't oversleep the future. Good Lord, that trip is getting, oh, harder on me every day. I may have to retire from time travel too now. But we are in the future. We had to take a break there so that we could reflect on the past. And now we're going to finish this program for the fine listeners out there. Is that correct, sir? That's right. We're going to finish it up with some fun and stupidity, the usual stuff here on the show. And Jim, I'll handle the fun. You take care of the stupidity. No problem there, Jim. Several listeners have sent in quotes that Chris Jericho has recently made publicly. Let's go to these. When responding to the messenger. Which must be a wait, wait a minute, wait a minute. Is that the guy we're not supposed to shoot? I don't know uh, if it's a podcast or an article. I don't know what it is, but the messenger had a question, an inquiry for Jericho about Tony Khan's recent tweets. Here's what Jericho thought. I learned years ago that bosses are going to be bosses and billionaires are going to be billionaires. I've been working for billionaires for 25 years at this point. You can't control Tony Khan. He's going to do what he wants to do, and God bless him. He created this company. He runs this company. He also grew up in the social media era. He got into wrestling via message boards online. He's always going to be attuned to that. So you know what? Who cares, man? He can say what he wants. I'm not going to tell him, take your phone away, because he's my boss. Say what you want. Whatever. I think it'd be worse. Whatever. I'll do what I want. I think it'd be worse if I said that stuff because I'm not the boss, you know? Tony Khan owns AEW. He can do what he wants. I'm not going to tell him no. But that sums up a lot of the problems with AEW right there. He's a billionaire. He's the boss. I'm not going to tell him anything but what he wants to hear. I think, actually, you probably could say that the problem was that Tony's, uh, what did they call it back in the day? Tony's governess, maybe was saying the same things. I'm not going to tell him no, or maybe Cadbury, the butler. I'm not going to tell him no, or the chauffeur, or the, you know, they weren't telling him no long time, but a long time before Jericho's not. I mean, what's he going to say? What is Jericho supposed to say? Well, yeah, my boss has lost his fucking noodle. And is just lashing out at people on Twitter and his mind works in mysterious ways and potentially needs to be suppressed in some fashion. Slow down the fucking, the gears are going to burn up sooner or later. 
but he can't say that because it's you know i mean he'll get wished into the cornfield if if, if, apparently at this point anybody that tries to sit tony down and say tony look at you and look at these other people in this other company that conduct themselves in a certain way and you're doing too much and you're fucking you know there's nobody that can say that or they'll get wished into the cornfield or potentially made into a human jack-in-the-box if i can reference that same episode again all right well i guess you uh, can reference that same episode again you can get the tony khan hug or you can get the tony khan shun hey it's it's a lot it's a lot better to have him hugging you than it is to having him wish you into the cornfield it's one thing to say he's the boss he could do what he wants but it it's another thing to justify it or to to say that it's good or I don't know. Jericho, I mean, he, I guess in a way to to be to be so I was going to say slovenly, but that's a misuse of that word to be so slavishly um, verbally filleting the fellow instead of just trying to be halfway noncommittal and get the fuck out of it is what you're saying. Yes, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> well, there was an element of that, too. Well, Jim, another quote from Chris Jericho that a lot of the listeners have been sending in, and it turns out it's from the same interview with The Messenger, this mysterious messenger. <laughs> the mysterious. He sounds like a Marvel villain <laughs> that is going to herald the coming of Galactus. Here are some quotes about the NXT battle with AEW on Tuesday night. You know, you can only bring in Cena and Undertaker and Cody and everyone else so much because nobody wants to work on their secondary show all the time. <laughs> and it was a fun little, hey, fuck you, AEW. I didn't even really worry about it. I told Tony, well, if you want to fire back, bring in Shaq and Snoop Dogg and those type of guys. What the Mike Tyson. <laughs> but Tony didn't do Any, that. Anybody but a wrestler. But Tony did. <laughs> don't bring in any wrestlers but goddamn can we get taylor swift can we get more celebrities from the 90s but tony didn't do that we relied on our show and our guys and our girls and, and, and got their ass kicked and that's the way it's always been for us this would be like a football game where you bring in all of your top stars from years prior and beat the other team 30 26 it's like a video game. Let's bring in Tom Brady from five years ago and then play him for one game against Chris Jericho. Okay, you guys won, but you only won 30 to 26. So don't get too far up your own ass. Oh my God. Because yeah, you there's, didn't not, do there's, there's not enough room for everybody up there and Chris has already set up camp. Because you didn't do that good of a job as far as crushing us. And our show was better than theirs, quite frankly. What? So, it doesn't bother me. It's competition, man. It's good for the fans. It's good for the companies. And that's the end of Chris Jericho's oh, comments on the Tuesday Night War. What are your thoughts? Well, first of all, oh, what? how did he phrase it exactly? So, okay, uh, you know, you can't send... Cena and all these people to every week. Yes, you can. Because they own the fucking company and they own the contracts and they can do whatever they want. And they have been souping up NXT, as we've talked about, since before it was head to head. 
not only for the rights fees, but also it's on the USA Network. And it's national television. And they're maximizing everything they got. And NXT is their, actually it's their C show, if you want to be specific. SmackDown would be A, Raw would be B, NXT C in terms of level of viewership. So their C show is regularly on Tuesday nights now drawing comparable numbers within 100,000 viewers of AEW's A-Show. And when they were head-to-head, yes, with other stars in the other company that they can call on anytime they want to, they beat them by, what was it, 33%. They had 30-something percent again, the number of viewers that the A-Show for AEW had with their C-Show. And secondly, if you want to talk about beating a B-show, then the WWE C-show is doing, in some cases, double the numbers of AEW's B-show on Saturday Night Collision. So explain that one to me, Lucy. It's, just, it's, it's better shows, but more professional shows with bigger stars that more people know about and want to see and make sense. And it's not, you know, Tony Khan and or all the indie wrestlers that he's fallen in love with, pleasuring themselves with these dream matches with Japanese baked potatoes with arms and legs and goddamn ludicrous fucking combinations that go nowhere and all the rest of it that the average person goes, why are these kids playing on my television? And sprinkled in there with a few veterans that know what they're doing, specifically being most informed in how to get a large check from a billionaire rich kid. So that kind of summarizes the situation probably more accurately and intricately than any of those other comments. It says a lot, too, about the different mindsets in the different companies, at least amongst a top star or someone paid like a top star like Chris Jericho. The line you talked about, the one about, uh, I got it here. You can only bring in Cena and Undertaker and Cody and everybody else so much because nobody wants to work on their secondary show all the time. Right. They're given dates. These are the dates you work. Yes. And if it's someone like Cena, you're calling and asking him to work this date. It's not like AEW where you say, I don't like to work Saturdays, so I'm not going to work Collision. Well, and also, obviously, Cena is not unlimited in terms of the dates, and if he wouldn't be as special if he was, but he is a team player and will go where he needs to go and do what he needs to do when he has time to do it. That's the whole fucking point of that company versus these other guys. Either they... They disappear because Tony can't figure out what to do with them, or apparently in some cases they disappear because they don't like what they're doing. Well, we will uh, stay on top of Chris Jericho's comments and thoughts about the modern-day wrestling war. He certainly has a proven track record of being almost always wrong. But Jim, another quote that a lot of the listeners have sent in. This is apparently originally from the WrestleOps Twitter account. 
It's a transcription of something. Wrestleops. It's a transcription of an interview from the Not Skinny But Not Fat podcast. Oh, now, come on now. Are, is this all just made up? Are these even real things that occur? Well, here are quotes from, or here is a quote from Nikki Bella, or the former Nikki Bella, Nikki Garcia, I presume, about how WWE never talked to them about keeping their names after they left. Here's a quote. We thought, oh, maybe there'll be a conversation because we have such a huge brand and we were actually making WWE a lot of money. So we actually thought there was going to be a conversation of like, okay, if you guys aren't re-signing, let's talk about the name. Maybe when you do future projects, we take a percentage, you keep the name. I'll be honest, I got a lawyer letter four hours before my contract I was got ending. a lawyer letter. Four hours. <laughs> that is a funny way of phrasing it. I got a lawyer letter out of these people. I got a lawyer letter four hours before my contract was ending that they were ceasing it all. So, and I keep that letter in my office so I could always see it. And just so that as I enter the new chapter, excuse me, this new chapter, that it's like I get to see what wasn't even talked about of something that I built for 20 years, but now that I have the power as a woman to build something else for the next 20 years. Apparently not a coherent sentence is one of the things she has the power to build, but... Well, Nikki Bella's uh, thought that somehow in the midst of all this is that the WWE never had a conversation with them about keeping any or using any of the WWE intellectual property after they left the company. Well, I, I understand the gist of it. Yes. And she's obviously naive for thinking they would do that, but she's not what, wrong in thinking it would be a win-win for them to do that if they're not going to be making money on it anyway. But no, but here's the thing, dipshit. That, this is the problem. These women were of that generation that just uh, you had to be pretty and be models or do whatever i don't mean whatever in that but i mean some non-wrestling occupation and they would come in and make you the divas or whatever and apparently she thinks because they've gotten on reality shows or whatever as as they used to say she thinks she's a big deal in the wrestling business these days that's the conversation that she and her sister, Hoosie-Wutsie, should have had with the office, not the other way around. The office doesn't come to them and say, oh, by the way, would you like to keep your names? And here, take some of our free office furniture and also a set of dishes. And no. If they're, I don't know what their uh, relationship was with the office and who they were working with, whether it was positive or negative or somewhere in between. But if their contracts were coming up, were not going to be renewed, they're going on to their new chapter that doesn't involve wrestling because obviously they only want, they're the generation of women that wanted to be WWE stars to go on to reality television and new chapters rather than they're not going to be getting booked in fucking Japan or goddamn Poughkeepsie. And so they, they think that the office was going to, hey, you know, we'll give you the opportunity to keep your names and only take 10% or whatever. No, that's the conversation that the Bellas should have been having with the office. Well, hey, can we 
do stuff as the Bellas if you're cut in in some fashion and tried to pitch that to them. The office didn't need to to pitch to them. They needed to pitch to the office. Would that not be your thinking right off the bat? It, it She sounds offended because nobody talked about it. Well, apparently they didn't either. They weren't sitting there across from Vince's desk saying, hey, what about our names? We've established this and that. We want to do something. Let's work something out. They just said, oh, okay, I got a lawyer letter, so fuck them. Yeah, it is interesting. I mean, again, you're naive to think that they would do that. You could argue about whether they should or shouldn't. It says something about what they thought the future earning possibilities were of the Bella's brand internally, <laughs> that they released them. Well, yeah, and, and probably they might have as well thought, well, these two, they might sign with AEW. They don't want to be wrestlers, but they could go do whatever the fuck that they're doing over there. Her husband works there. Brie Bella. Well, there you go. So that's right. And Danielson. So, you know, they obviously, if they had been pitched anything about keeping the names, it would have included a clause. You cannot professionally wrestle or whatever it is you call what you do for AEW under this name. And if that was too much trouble, they might've just said, fuck them, let them start over as Garcia's or whoever the fuck they are. But again, is someone yet to prefer to me to offer up for evidence, a classic Bella match, a classic Bella promo, a reason why that the Bella twins were a big deal in wrestling. Besides the fact they were twins and they were purdy. I can't tell you a great Bella's match or anything, or, I mean, they were a part of the show. They were that era where people were just a part of the show and they were a part of the show and they <laughs> dated members of the show. And so I don't they were really, really embedded give, in the show. You know, I'm, they can go ahead and do whatever they like. I don't really have a fucking opinion on it either way, but they, to think that they were such big stars that somehow the WWE was going to go, oh, here, keep our intellectual property and just give us 10%. Well, that's just ridiculous. But to that idea, whether it's the Bellas or whether it's any wrestler you could think of, you know, Malachi Black had to change his name, not that he wanted to be Alistair Black, but he had to change his name when he went there. Adam Copeland had to change his name. If you know you're not retaining the person and you know they're not retiring, is it worth WWE in the future having that kind of arrangement? Look, we know you're leaving. We know you're going to work for our competition who we're going to pretend we don't care about, but do everything we can to crush. <laughs> but if you want, we'll license you your name. We still own it. We'll still be making money on you wrestling somewhere else. But we'll license it. Should WWE be open to that? No, because that opens up a can of peas with, you know... Uh, Potentially, now that there's new ownership and it's not like, you know, when, when Vince dies, what in the world's going to happen? Uh, in 10 years, somebody might do this right and open up opposition to them. And then they've set up a precedent or given people that opportunity. No. So I, 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 I understand what they're doing. And of course, I disagree with the concept of it because I always said, you know, it, that was the great thing about making stars in wrestling. Once somebody got a name and a name in the magazines and they toured with you, you knew Terry Funk, you knew Jack Briscoe, or whatever the case, right? 
and now formerly known as, but if they're going to do it and they've done it, they need to be consistent with WWE. If, if you're going to agree to work for them under a name that they make up and give to you, then you've got to pretty much realize that you can't take it with you. But I believe that people should, I mean, you know, uh, Brock Lesnar, you couldn't change that. There's always going to be exceptions. So with that, you know, at that point, it becomes a, a bone of contention. But, you know, they're not going to, on the theory that, again, somebody will come along at some point now in the lifetime of the WWE as a corporate entity and do it right. It may be 20 years from now, but they're going to keep their talent exclusive and you can only see these people here while they're under our banner and you will only see these names as a WWE production. It's like the old fucking studio system now. Well, we will move from the studio lot and move forward here with the show. And of course, Jim... We can't speak too much in terms of personal knowledge to what is going on between the Garcias, or Bellas, and WWE, but we do know another party or two who may be receiving a lawyer letter <laughs> pretty soon, and you'll probably be getting some cast media updates on the show pretty soon, but I think you know who I'm talking about. Well, I know that, and ladies and gentlemen, I'll tell you this. If you go to your mailbox and you pull out your mail and you open one of those envelopes, and when you open up that letter, the first thing you see is the letterhead of the man that we are about to speak to you about, you should shudder in fear, or should shudder in fear, or should shudder potentially in fear, <laughs> because if you see that letterhead, you know, as Gary Hart used to say, the shit is on, brother. From this man, call Stephen P. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, when you open that letter up and you see that letterhead, it, it's like in the old days when they were drafting people and you'd open the letter and it said, greetings from the United States government. You knew you were toast. And the same thing here. If you see the letterhead from the law office of Stephen P. New at newlawoffice.com and the new phone number, 877-50-STEVE. 507. 8383. 50 Steve. Then, if you see that and you're on the opposite side of that, you are a contentious party to the man that I've just spoken about, then you know that your goose, as they say, is cooked. As Gorilla Monsoon would say, stick a fork in him because he's done. And you can be on the other side of that as well. You can be the man with Stephen P. New in your corner or the woman. He does accept. Employment and cases from both sexes, even even more than both, all of them. And you can be the person with Stephen P. New in your corner when you go into a court of law and fight for your rights. He is going to be your gladiator. He is going to be your champion. He is going to be 
charging up Courthouse Hill to lay waste all the legal opposition and get you paid and compensated and remunerated and all those other rated things. He might even get you masturbated. It, he knows people in West Virginia. Once again, newlawoffice.com, 888, no, that's the old one, 877. 877. That's the new one. 507. Steve. 507-8383. It's not even catchy. It's not a jingle, 507-383. I you don't even know. One. but You can make it one. 50-Steve. 507-8383. You just need a catchy part. You need a hook. That's all you yeah. need. The whole well, thing doesn't I'd, have to be catchy. I'll stick a hook in you. I'll call my lawyer. I'll get you a lawyer letter. Hey, I'll get you a lawyer letter from 87750-STEVE. I'll be signing lawyer letters, copies of Jim Cornette's lawyer letter here <laughs> at Last Manor from the Super Podcast Store. Well, you know, we got to get a copy of the Bella's lawyer letter. That would, that would probably, if we could sell that for charity. It'd be funny if it was just like a prank, like someone wrote, Dear Bella's, yeah. we, are, we are ceasing everything as of now. Signed, Lawyers. My, Mike Leno might have got the Bellas booked in Japan. <laughs> well, Stephen P. New, if you get booked yeah, in Japan yeah, behind your back, guy. call Stephen Stephen, Stephen, he's our man. If he can't do it, nobody can. Yay, Steve. All right. Well, 8383. Eight, oh, Jim, God damn it. You see, I made it catchy. You see, I'm getting it stuck in your head, 8383. Eight, <laughs> yeah, that's you're giving me the subliminal shit like every 8383. Every once in a while in the middle of the sentence, 8383, you'll just. All right. That's going to be like the new code word amongst Stephen P. New clients. You know, 8383. But Jim. Most, most of the codes that Stephen gives out are the codes to the jail so his clients can get out by themselves. Well, no, that's not what he does. He is a lawyer of repute. He'll get you out of jail just like that. Boy, he knows all the codes and has copies of all the keys. By codes, you mean all the laws, and by keys, you mean the legal system, which he'll be maneuvering around to help you out. Hopefully you're not in jail. Stephen P. New, 877-507-8383. But Jim, yes. as we finish up, a couple more topics here. We've done this once before, where I ask you the finishing moves you think they would be, or in English, I ask you what you think what? the finishing moves would be. On these retro figures I have, and I just got a new batch of things here. Oh, good Lord. You know, last time we talked about Mattel, Mattel Creations putting out Hasbro-esque WWE figures featuring classic wrestling performers. They're great. Other companies have gotten into the mix. So I have some other figures Everybody's here. always got to get in on the act. This one here in the Hasbro style is from Chella Toys. It is a King Haku figure. The classic 1988-89 King Haku with the crown. What would his finishing maneuver be on the figure? Well, and now we established when we discussed this previously that you would think, okay, the finish, Paul Orndorff would be the pile driver or whatever their trademark move would be. But instead, they have these toy companies have concocted, as strange as it may seem, they give these finishing maneuvers strange names these days. We had who's on first, what was on second, I don't know. So, so it, it could be anything. But of course, the the finish, maybe the Haku was known, was the, what was it, the Tongan death grip? But I bet you that's not it. Holy shit. Finishing maneuver, Tongan death grip. 
Well, son of a bitch. Wow. How the fuck did you get that? You know what? Because they were scared of fucking Haku. They didn't want to fuck around <laughs> with him. I can't believe you just got that. The first one. Well, there you go. Wow. I wish I had bought two of these. I want to open this thing up. But I'm scared <laughs> to. All right. Well, I have another one here. This one is, I believe, from the same company, Cella Toys. Epic Toys. This is a glow-in-the-dark Adam Bomb toy. Former wrestler of yours, the Night Stalker, Brian Clark. Yep. yep. This is the radioactive variant. I guess that's why it glows in the dark. <laughs> what would the finishing maneuver of Adam Bomb on this figure be? Well, and also, by the way, we just out of the blue mentioned Paul Orndorff. You know that the reason... Not the reason, but the person who got Brian Clark booked with me in Smoky Mountain Wrestling as the Night Stalker before he then graduated the next year to go on and become Adam Bomb was Paul Orndorff. Was it because they were both living in Georgia? They were both living in Georgia, and Paul had seen him at you know some of the local shows or a local show or whatever. He looked great and looked like a superstar and was a at that point was green but was talented because you saw his work he didn't look like shit and so paul had recommended hey i got this guy and he could ride up with me i assume drive probably but he was perfect for kevin sullivan's uh you know army of darkness there so that's uh, the Night Stalker was that his debut was from that. The thing is, he almost instantly became infamous because of that match at the Clash of Champions with him and Sid in like yes. 1990. It was so bad. Yeah, because, well, now remember, this was 1993 that right. I got Brian. Well, 92, you got him. And, well, late 92, yes, late 92. And it had been a couple of years later because, yes, this was one of the worst wrestling matches ever televised by WCW and imagine what kind of territory that takes in. But that was, you know, he had just started like months before that, Brian, and it was Sid. So it was, there was, they were a rudderless ship. But him with Sullivan worked perfectly. They look good together. You know, it was kind of like a Drew McIntyre hanging over Sullivan. Yeah. And it was like the thing that repaired him to a lot of people to give him a chance, at least smart fans, because. Right. That, you know, was, what did we know him for? He was managed by Ox Baker, <laughs> and then that match with Sid. So, I mean, they didn't have much going for him. And then with Smokey Man Wrestling and Kevin Sullivan and uh, the feud with Brian Lee, it kind of got him ready to go to WWF as Adam Bomb. Yeah, and then, unfortunately, you know, it was the, the era of the pun names, and at least he didn't get an occupation. Unless I guess it was blowing the world up, but Adam Bomb, he went and got that giant mushroom cloud tattoo on his arm when he got the gimmick. I'm like, Jesus Christ, Brian, in a year and a half, I bet you probably ain't gonna have that fucking name. What was Adam Bomb's hometown? Do you remember? I, no, I do not. Three Mile Island. Oh, of course. Even though the Three Mile Island actually had nothing to do with atomic bombs was more about nuclear waste. Is that a Vince thing? Like, we have yes. to give you yeah. some hometown yeah. that's just yes. ridiculous? Yeah, All right. yeah. Well, what's the finishing maneuver of this glow-in-the-dark radioactive well, he variant? He did a, a powerbomb variation, and I can't remember what it was called, but some play on the, the bomb thing, but what do they got? The Atom Smasher. Okay. <laughs> the, well, the Atom Smasher was a popular 40s 
pulp superhero that uh, I think he it, it was fighting the Axis powers at that point. All right. The final two I have here, I have to be careful with because I got an email from the company saying that due to, I guess, either the glue and or the weight of these figures, they're coming right off the bubble. Oh, good Lord. But these are toys in the Grapplers and Gimmicks line, again, replicating the classic WWF Hasbro or WWE Hasbro, I guess we should say, by either, it's either Hastel Toy or Hassel Toy. I'm not exactly sure how to pronounce it, but Hastel Toy and Collectible. Don't hassle these people. I have the Bobby Horn and Nelson Frazier Jr. <laughs> figures here. Now, of course, they are better known as Moe and Mabel, Men on a Mission, but... Those are names owned by WWE, so... Well, wait a minute. How is Adam Bomb? I guess Brian Clark owns the rights to it. Well, how... That doesn't really make a lot of sense, does it? I don't know how that worked, but for... Uh... Yeah. Well, I, apparently, you know, the, the, the men on a mission, they signed one of those Barry Gordy-type contracts where they just got screwed on all their rights and everything. Well, we're not going to call them men on a mission here. They will just be fellas with a purpose... <laughs> but Jim, <laughs> the purpose. You know what we used to call them in the locker room whenever they'd go through the curtain doing their thing. When they'd say, "We're on a mission," everybody at the gorilla position would go, "We're on assistance. We're on assistance." <laughs> well, Bobby Horn, better known as Mo, what would his finishing maneuver be? Good Lord, did I assume they won matches, but I can't remember many, and I am completely in the die. And I like Bobby as a person. Even Mo was a nice guy, but um, I don't know what he was doing. The Motown Basher. Okay, I'm pretty sure those words have never been uttered on a television program in history. Right, they're supposed to be from New York. Why would you even go with Motown? That's Detroit. Well, because his name is Mo. So it maybe oh, it should have been oh, the, the, oh, the Mo Howard. You know, Mo Howard meltdown or whatever the fuck it was. You know, I always feel bad for him because I had when I was a kid, they had uh, wrestlers signing autographs at the Nassau Coliseum at the Arena Club before the show, and a lot of wrestlers would be signing and they'll look up and smile. Just they understand this is part of the job. You know, WWF yeah. is the one who put them out there. Don't fuck up and be rude. Mo was like depressed or just <laughs> fucked. I don't know what he was looking down and just signing his name and not caring. And I got his, I still have it here. It was one of those blue WWF, like generic things that had everyone's picture all around it so they could just give it to everyone. It's not individualized. Right, right. And he wrote, Mo, best of everything. <laughs> but, you know, wrestlers love strip clubs. And if you go to a strip club, I would think, and you're one of these strippers, and you meet a wrestler, it's like, holy shit, I met The Undertaker. Or holy shit, I met The Godfather. Or, holy shit, the Godfather's back. No, but it's right, one of these yeah. guys. It's a big or, name. Or, you know, here, Godfather's here again. He won't leave, but go ahead. So what do you do? I'm a wrestler. What's your name? Mo. Mo. <laughs> <laughs> That's it? Yeah, just Mo. Well, Jim. Oh, God. And, and you know, and I got I to gotta say this also, because in all fairness to Bobby Horn, he actually had been a wrestler and wanted to be a wrestler and did things on an independent level after that run was over with. And I believe tried to run his own shows. He lived for quite a while and I think was from uh, somewhere in West Tennessee. 
Well, and, that, was where, that was where I first saw them. They were the Harlem Knights in Memphis. Yeah, because, you know, and then Mabel, Mr. Frazier, <laughs> goddamn, if Plowboy Frazier had been alive around at the same time and they'd have booked him as brothers, my God, that would have been the greatest thing for a variety of reasons. The Frazier brothers. The Frazier brothers, Nelson and Plowboy. <laughs> my God, Lawler would have done it just to watch the fucking show. <laughs> That would have been these two 500 pound fucking motherfuckers. But anyway, so I don't know where they found him, but obviously Mabel's basic ticket into the business was because he weighed 500 pounds and was however fucking big. And Vince tried to push him and et cetera, but we all know how that turned out. But Bobby Horn wanted a long career in the business and, you know, was in a variety of different facets had one and then oscar bless him he was a nice guy but he was the guy that just jumped out in front of vince at one of the wrestlemania hotels and did a rap in front of him and vince got a wild hair up his ass as mama Cornette used to say and came up with mo oscar and mabel mom <laughs> men on a mission and he and, he, and this was 1993 it was the summer no. of 93 Three, right? Okay. Vince had just heard about rap. <laughs> it don't say it had taken well, about 13 or 14 years. Well, no, they did have run DMC at WrestleMania five. That was kind of the that was kind of the worst moment of run DMC's career, well, but they had him you there. Know, yeah. I I I think Vince was in probably in the bathroom at that point in time because it, it was you saw the glee in his face when he would do that, and they come out and we're on a mission. And you know. But that was what that was, and and Whoa, whoa is me. All right. And by the way, apparently, and uh, it is not shipped yet, but there is an Oscar figure from this line coming out, too, <laughs> so you'll be able to complete the set. Well, God, thank goodness. I mean, it would have been a crime if you couldn't complete that set. Well, that'll be the next installment in this series when we see what his finishing maneuver is. But finally, Jim, Nelson Frazier Jr., better known as Mabel or Viscera. Uh, well, his finish was... The hospitalator, right? Because have he fucking caved Undertaker's face in, and who'd he sit on? Broke their back or hurt their back or did whatever the fuck? I would there be a, just did, Would there be a Nia Jax without a Mabel? Um, possibly, but it he he did blaze the trail. <laughs> um, but I mean, it's hard to control that much flesh and poundage and tonnage and sewage and that's why yokozuna was so good uh, yeah because he could control it till till the end yeah but i do i again was he just jumping up and sitting on people i can't remember what the fuck he was doing he had a big splash but here it is the hip-hop clobber <laughs> the hip-hop clobber and speaking of clobber i gotta be careful putting this figure down this is the one that it weighs so much it just rips oh. the rips the plastic right off it's, the thing. It weighs so much, it's hazardous to its own health. My God, they do make these figures realistic these days. I have one more here, but it does not have a finishing maneuver. They did a Greg Valentine. This is from uh, Epic Toys. Oh, the guy, the guy that had one of the classic finishing maneuvers of all time didn't, doesn't get a finishing maneuver. Well, no, you know what they did? They uh, did the rhythm and blues version of Greg Valentine, or as it says here, rock and roll Greg Valentine, which oh. <laughs> with the black hair and the Elvis jacket. But no finishing maneuver, but that is our classic wrestling figure finishing maneuver segment for this week. Jim, 
Yes. One last thing before we wrap things up. I have the latest edition of Pro Wrestling Illustrated in hand. Well, I'm sorry for you. Well, but at least unlike Tony Khan's, yours is not have pages stuck together. Well, <laughs> I don't know what Tony's doing with his PWI. You don't know what Tony's doing with his P what? With his PWI Pro Wrestling Illustrated. But maybe you would have the pages stuck together because this is the women's top 50 or excuse me, women's top 250, women's 250, oh, as they call it. And Wait on the cover, minute. they found 250 of them to begin with, much less the top. Of, of 250? I added top for whatever reason. I guess I looked at two and I thought top, but the women's 250 and on the cover is number one mommy, Rhea Ripley rules. Well, you can't argue with that. We've been saying it. Well, here's number one on the list, Rhea Ripley. You agree with yes. this? Number one Obviously. woman in the business? Obviously. Number two, Julia. Oh, Jesus Christ. What? You haven't even seen her. You can't judge her. But, but no, that's the point. Nobody else has either. And you you seriously mean to tell me that as a as a supposed legitimate or working legitimate publication, it's not Charlotte. It's not Bianca Belair. It's not even who's the women's champion over there, the Chris Statlander. It's somebody that the vast, vast majority of wrestling fans that are going to see that magazine by have never fucking seen before and are probably not going to see anytime in the near future. According to this, Julia has been a pro for six years. Last year, <clears throat> last year she was number 57. What do you think the name of her finishing maneuver is? Uh, it is for the record, just so you know, it is a rings of Saturn cross face variation, but what is it called? Of course it is. Um, it's called the Variation of the Rings of Saturn. Her finishing maneuver? Bianca! What? Number three on the list, Wait Jim. a minute, was she named her finishing maneuver after a, a, a Bianca Belair? I'm looking through the notes here. It's nothing that specifies the origin of the finishing maneuver name, but it says here it is Bianca. Are you sure it's not Bianca? She wrestling a lot of people with bad breath. Well, we will find out. Let's see who else is in the top ten, at least. Number three on the list, Bianca Belair. <laughs> All right, and, and, and again, she's not my favorite in the whole wide world, but she is obviously top ten in the wrestling business in today's climate. So, yeah, she should be there. And again, you know, at least somebody knows who the fuck she is. Last year, she was number two on the list, seven years pro. Number four, Jamie Hayter. Where's she been? Injured. Of course, she works for AEW. And it's been a long time now because she missed Wembley, so it's been months. Yeah, but I'm I'm sorry, but again, we've got a few people uh, unaccounted for, and Charlotte Flair is the one that is uppermost in my mind before we can round out a top five at this point. Well, she is eight years pro. Last year, she was number 64 on the list. Number five, Jim... Maybe we'll just skip that because you will say some bad things. Well, no, what? No, come Number on. five on the list, Tam Nakano. She Who, is what? Tam Nakano. Not she, Bull Nakano. No, this is Tam Nakano. And from what I hear from people who regularly watch Japanese women's wrestling, she is very good. Number five on the list. She was number 30 last year. Seven years pro and doesn't have her finishing maneuver or hometown, but it says discography, Tears Tale which was an EP she put out in 2023 
on Natsupoi Records. Oh no, excuse me. With Natsupoi. I don't know who I don't know what's going on. Who but who is in the who's the soup boy? What? She is singing, she is wrestling, She's she is singing, number five. She is, is she dancing? I don't know. I would think maybe if you're doing pop music, you're probably dancing with the song. Does she love to sing uh, about the moon and the June and the spring? Uh, she loves to sing uh, about the skies of blue and T42. And all right, Tam. Tam Nakano. Tam the Torpedo. I don't believe we've ever seen her. We'll see if we ever get to see a match I of hers. I bet we probably never will see her again. Ever. I'm curious now. We should give it a chance. Number six on the list, Jim. Someone who... Fans who watch Ring of Honor who get in touch with us rave about, I have to say, Athena. But now, wait a minute. Athena is the, 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 the girl that was in the WWE of the, the girl Ember who Moon. lands her Ember Moon. Right? That's Athena. That's Athena. She's the one that You've lands that big satchel ass on everybody's fucking face. That's her thing. Yeah, fuck that. And her and her satchel ass. Well, she is um, num- she is number six on the list. Last year she was 76, 16 years pro. In 16 years, she hadn't figured out how to not to treat people the way she treats them when she's in the ring with them. And her side hustle is half Dragon Nap, her gaming channel on Twitch. Number I'm saying s- what? She has a gaming channel. That's her side hustle. But it, half Dragon App. Or Dragon Nap. However you pronounce it and however I it is. I thought she was Dragon Ass, but go ahead. Number seven on the list, Jim, Deanna Perazzo. I've, I've seen her, uh, this young lady, at, several years ago. She did extensive training with Rip Rogers. He was a big fan of hers. Hadn't seen her lately. But again, I, I'm not even discounting her ability here, but she's not on... Is she on television somewhere? It would have to be fairly obscure. Impact. If, uh, it's a very obscure. Oh, okay. Well, yeah. there you go. Then obscurity breeds obscurity. But if only they had a good executive team, things that could be done. Yeah, I'm sorry, but as we've talked about, the WWE women's roster um, dominates the or should dominate all the top women's spots because they got the best women. Their women are better than their men overall as a percentage of the population. Well, last year she was 19, 10 years pro. Her signature move is a gotch-style pile driver known as the Queen's Gambit. Number eight, Jim, Willow Nightingale. Uh, okay. Eight years pro. Last year she was number 40 from Long Island, New York. All right. Well, there you go. She is um, good. She, I like Where's Charlotte? Was this, was this magazine, was it put together when Charlotte was on hiatus? Well, we'll we'll see where we get to her. We won't go everywhere. If she's like in the fifties, we won't go all the way to fifty. But oh, we'll for heaven's sake! Well, then in that case, she didn't pay off the right people. Number nine, Camille. Interesting. I would like to see Camille. Uh, I, she obviously was on the one television taping that I did for the NWA about four years ago. But I spent some time with her this summer when she she summered in Louisville. She got a summer home down in Shively. And she looks like, uh, from what I could tell, that she has progressed a little bit. She's got the size. She's got a striking look. I'd like to see if she's improved. But again, where where is she 
these days on the television. Well, that's the problem. She's with the NWA, so no one ah, sees her. Ah, well, there you go. Six years pro, though. Only six years pro. It's crazy. I so feel she like got... she's been around a little longer, but that's only that's not too long. Why? I just said I saw her four years ago. I'd seen her for the very first time. Number 10 on the list, Jordan Grace. Oh, good Lord. Um, Her hobbies are spending time with her pets and bodybuilding. And, and bodybuilding, and with the emphasis on the bodybuilding. Boy, the last time I saw her, she had muscles on her muscles. Um, so apparently this this magazine publishing company is now really pissed at the WWE and just said, fuck it, we're going to include them all out. Well, I'm not exactly sure, but let's uh, quickly go through some of these other ones and see where Charlotte is. Number 11, Asuka. Number 12, Tony Storm. Number 13. And, and, and again, why Tony Storm in the top 10? I would buy that. Before unknown people named Julia. Number 13, Marsha Slamovich. Number who 14. Who the fuck is this? We keep hearing this name, Marsha Slamovich. I don't know who she is. Number 14, Jade Cargill. Side hustle, co-owner of the Texas Smoke fast pitch softball team. I thought he was, I thought she was a cone owner, owner of the <laughs> the ice cream cone business down there. Um there's a good prospect for top tenage. 15, Roxanne Perez, 16, Kyrie, 17, Miyu Yamashita. Oh, come on. 18, Chris Statlander, 19, Mizuki. 20, Saya Kamatani. Okay, so they did. They couldn't list 250 female wrestlers, so they had to make a bunch of shit up. These names are obviously made up. 21, Charlotte Flair. Okay, there you You think? That's like putting fucking, you know, some lounge singer from Cleveland 10 spots above Sinatra. 22, Ronda Rousey. 23, Trinity. 24, EO Sky. 25, Tiffany Stratton. 26, Taya Valkyrie. 27, Mickey James. 28, Hikaru Shida. 29, Becky Lynch. But Jesus Christ, so the farther down the list we go, the more famous and accomplished the names become, is what you're saying to me. Number 30, Mayu Iwatani. Okay, maybe there's a, you know, a deviation from that rule every once in a while. You know, this appears to be the page where it falls off for you, because number 31 is Suzu Suzuki. Number 32 is Nicole Matthews. Number 33 is Kenzie Page. I don't know who any of these people are. Number 34, Alex Windsor. 35. Wait a minute, wasn't Alex Windsor the, the guy that Dory Jr. was training a long time ago? No, that was a different Windsor. What was that guy's name? Was it Adam Windsor? Adam Windsor. Adam That's, Windsor. Yeah. Number 35. You. What? Me? It says Y-U-U. -U. You. 36, Britt Baker. Wait a minute. That was the whole name. You. You. Oh, Tony, please book you. She challenged I, Julia. Uh, we could do 250,000 downloads on the, the review of you. And let's get to 50, 36, Britt Baker, 37, Suri, 38, Liv Morgan, 39, Vert Vixen. <laughs> Vert Vixen. <laughs> Number 40, Utami, 
Hayashim Hay Hayashishita 41 Bailey 42 Flamer 43 <laughs> Murray 44 Yuka Sakazaki Yuka y'all you doing you'll clean it up 45 Hyan H Y A N Number 46 Indy Hartwell Number 47 AZM or Azam I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. We've seen the name before. Uh, is that, wait a minute. That's an abbreviation for ass to mouth, right? No, that, that's not ass to mouth. AZM is not that, but that's oh, oh, I'm 47 sorry. on the list. 48, Lana Austin, the Queen of Mean. 49, Jody Threat. <laughs> wait, I like that name. That's a good Jody Threat. Number I like that. And then she can say, I'm not a threat. I'm a promise. Number 50, Venny. Or Venai, V-E-N-Y. Venai? It's V-E-N-Y, so it could be Denai or Veni. I, I don't know. Vini, Vide, Vice? And, That's uh, her full legal name on a driver's license. I will stop there. Yeah, I wish you would. And that was That's the only 50. to 50. That's only to 50. So the re- obviously all these names are made up. I don't think any of those names were made up. And of course, we encourage you to seek out their matches, watch them on YouTube, give them a chance, see what you think, vote next year. All 250 of them. Just go right down the list. Rank them. We want to see your rankings of the 250. Give us your 250. Send it to Courtney Drive through <laughs> Listen, we've been going a long time. Hey, hey, if anybody out there sends us a list of 250 legitimate female wrestlers that are actually existing in the world, we'll read the fucking thing. Don't send say that because then multiple people are going to start just going through the internet and finding the names of people who Uh, I guess that is true they could do a thing like that couldn't they All right, never mind well never mind and never mind any more audio songs and everything return next week it's been a lot of audio this week and this is day two of this after some time travel but we'll be back on the experience before you know it before we know it before we even know it that's right Go to jimcornette.com, Cornette's Collectibles, on Twitter at Great Brian Lass. He's on Twitter at the Jim Cornette, 605 Super Podcast, The Wrestling News, patreon.com slash Cornette, the official Jim Cornette YouTube channel, all the usual stuff. He's Jim Cornette. I'm the Great Brian Last. Tally ho!